working. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to Filmatic Podcast. This is our first ever video podcast as well. I'm so excited. It's been a while. I'm here, of course, with uh, Connor Park. What's up? What's going on, Connor? We can finally see you now. You know, I have so, a face. I have a body. I'm not a. I'm not a floating voice anymore. This is awesome. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> also, I, I just want to reiterate. You know, we're we're all a little kind of kind of clunky you know it's been a while since we recorded a podcast together and seeing everyone's face you know it's kind of you know it's like when you're in class and you look at your friends and you try not to laugh you know it's kind of like that so well i'm also looking at connor and he's like turning into like a fucking four-bit picture of himself (laughs) and then turning back into a normal version of himself yeah that's true connor right now for our audio listeners looks like uh he's made of about four pixels so (laughs) It's just white. <laughs> just white. All right. Anyway, this is our um, Eternals podcast, but not just Eternals. We're going to talk about the uh, state of the uh, Marvel uh, cinematic and television uh, properties, as well as the upcoming future. Talk about how it's going. Talk about what we thought of it. And um, yeah, so anything, uh, any thoughts, guys, or you just want to jump into it? Let's jump right into it. Get right into it. All right. So let's talk about Eternals, guys. Eternals came out about uh, a month ago at this point, uh, at the time of recording. We all had a chance to see it. It possibly is uh, one of Marvel's most ambitious films in a while in the sense that there's uh, no established characters. You know, you get a few references, but this is pretty much a new cast, new characters, and there are a lot of them. There are, I believe, eight of main Eternals. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. but And, uh, of course, we come in with the new director. Also someone kind of straying from uh, Marvel's usual uh, toolbox of filmmakers, uh, Chloe Zhao, who, of course, was Oscar, an Oscar winner for her film uh, Nomadland uh, a year ago. And um, so you got a lot of interesting components lot of interesting ingredients in the recipe of this movie um and it led to a very interesting result as i'm sure we will get into and discuss so also, connor there, would you there like are to ten explain eternals. yeah i just there are, ten oh, there are ten okay yeah there are ten eternals all right cool so connor if you if you will uh, i don't mean to call you out but i think it'd be really good i like your you have a very uh <laughs> descriptive uh storytelling perspective i feel like you're good at that kind of thing because you i mean you're a musician and that kind of goes into your art this is so true. i should mention of course if you didn't know burnout that you're well you're not a burnout you're you're Connor <laughs> is a burnout. Um, <laughs> your stage name is burnout anyway a little tangent but i would like you connor if you're willing to explain to us the the gist of this story and of course, there will be spoilers ahead. I imagine we won't delve right into them, but just be warned, they could pop up at any moment. So here we go. Connor, so, what's Eternals about? All right, so to give uh, as minimal of a spoiling overview as possible, basically, the movie is about the characters, the Eternals, who are all these otherworldly, powerful beings sent to Earth to protect the people of Earth, just, you know, humans, us, from... These monsters called deviants, which are mm-hmm. just this like creature that eats sentient, intelligent life, 
and that is not good. As a sentient, intelligent life being, I do not want to be eaten. So, Eternals are there to protect us. Um, we've got Ajax, Cersei, Icarus, Kingo, Sprite, Festos, Makari, Drug, Gilgamesh, and Thena. If I messed up any of the pronunciations... Yeah, that is off the top of my head and not being read <laughs> off of my second monitor where I have the Wikipedia page filled up. Well, okay. All right. Um, but so yeah, was no. that all from Wikipedia? or No, 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 just the character names. Just the character names because I couldn't remember okay, all of them. Just yeah, the sure. Names. Sure, it was funny. All right. uh, so yeah, they're sent down to protect us. Uh, they've been here since, basically, it seems like the dawn of time. Uh, each of them has their own individual set of powers, individual you know, characteristics about them, and they are all protecting us. Do you want me to go farther yeah. into it? But that's like, you know, that's kind of the overview. Uh, I mean, no, that, that's, a, that's a very good uh, gist that you uh, came up with on the spot there. Um, I think we should add that they were sent by the Celestials. True. Yeah. Which is kind of sent. a key part of the plot. Yeah. yeah, and regarding Celestials, you know, you've got hints at the Celestials throughout the MCU. I think dating back to Guardians of the Galaxy... Uh, you know, 2014, of course, we got a little hint of them, we got a little backstory from them from the collector, if anyone remembers that. There was a little, uh, what's the word? I don't know, it was some sort of graphic slash hologram that was thrown up, and you see these celestials, and they're kind of glossed over as the uh, creators of the Infinity Stones, which, of course, played in very crucial part in the MCU these last few big movies. Um, also, Nowhere, right? Nowhere is the head Right, of Nowhere... Nowhere is the severed head of a long dead celestial, of course. So we did get to see that. And it's kind of cool, you know. I mean, that was 2014, and here we are, seven years later, finally getting an actual pretty general backstory for the celestials. So that's cool. Um, but yeah, so the celestials play a very vital role in this movie as the creators of uh, all of life and all universes everywhere. And like Connor said, they first uh sent okay well i guess it depends how spoilery we're gonna get off the off the off the i said we just uh take the lid off of the spoilers all right we kind of have to i feel like to go deeper into it i agree Mm all right so yeah so the celestials they sent the quote-unquote monsters deviants as connor said to call celeste uh call um, human life or living or just any, I believe it's any living species and whatnot. Um, and to make sure their population was, uh, protected and to protect them. So their population would grow. That's the eternal. That when they're popular, well, they sent the deviants first. Well, the deviants weren't sent to protect. The deviants were originally sent to take out unintelligent life. The deviants were sent to kill unintelligent life. And then true predators, well, but yeah, but still. Yeah, and then... So, okay. Here, here's so something the, we have to clarify. Intelligent life is not defined as animals in this movie. Right? Yeah, I should... Dogs, yeah. not intelligent. They're not life. intelligent. There's literally, <laughs> there's literally a scene where a deviant... Okay. Approaches a dog and doesn't eat it. I also want to mention, in that scene, deviant also approaches a homeless man and chooses not to eat it. <laughs> Interesting choice by the writers. Um, yeah, it's like the first introduction to the modern world. Um, mm-hmm. 
So yeah, so the deviants. I know this all sounds confusing, guys, but bear with us. So the, <laughs> the deviants were sent to protect quote unquote intelligent species from predators, I believe is the word used. And uh, but eventually there was a flaw in the the way they were made, so they turned against humans. Basically, uh, you could sum it down to that. And um, so well, that, they started that uh, evolving. That was a specific right. thing they said, right? Is like the deviant's flaw was that they were able to like adapt to the place around them, which I think is interesting. Right. I just want to point I think that it's, out because it's implied that they don't care about the humans, right? Whereas yeah. the Eternals, who we'll talk about, very much do, and that is interwoven in their drama that they have with each other and with the morality of saving or not saving Earth. Um, so yeah, so those are the deviants and then the Eternals, like I just said, were sent after them and are clones. I think that's the word clones of each other that are sent to uh, a planet every so often that a celestial is being born. Now that has to happen <laughs> because a celestial in order to be born, it has to be born from within a planet and there has to be enough of a population slash quote unquote intelligent life to allow that birth to happen. Therefore, that is why the Eternals must protect the humans so that they can continue to grow. All right. So that's the, that's the origin of the Eternals on this, uh, in the MCU's so, I think it's a pretty good backdrop, and of course, we will get into the characters and and whatnot. Um, I guess my first question for you guys, just so we can spice up the way this is going and not just be explaining the whole movie, is uh, what? Let's just start with what was your favorite part of the movie? How about that? I mean, I feel like we'll kind of naturally splinter from there and cover everything. So, like, if you have a favorite part of the movie or a part that you enjoyed very much regarding these characters in this world. What would you say that is? And anybody can take that when you're ready. I think my favorite part of the movie, which probably isn't the best answer in terms of people understanding why, is when uh, Ephesus, when uh, Ephesus like, binds Icarus to the, to the ground mm-hmm. when he delivers the line. I've been waiting to clip your wings for a while, Icarus. <laughs> the line was yeah. awesome. The moment was pretty was awesome. badass. Yeah. Um, and I guess for contest, uh, context, Icarus is, I'd say, maybe not definitively the strongest, but he's like presented as being the strongest Eternal in this group. And at least that's the way they view it, so to speak. Like, you can kind of tell that everyone respects him. You know, he can fly, which none of the others can do. So, yeah. like... Having this other character come in who seemingly is more of like a smart mm-hmm. engineer type role for the team. Having him come in and just knock this guy down a peg is super satisfying. Right, especially given the context of the movie and how, like you said, he's being framed and regarded as the most powerful Eternal basically by all of them. And also his deception, of course, in the, in the third act when we find out that this whole time he was never really, uh, well, he knew the whole, I guess. Okay. So we should clarify the Eternals besides him and the former leader whose name I'm blanking on, uh, 
Ajak. Yes, sir. Thank you. Ajak obviously know about the true nature of their mission, but the other Eternals don't know that they've been cloned and have lived past lives on other planets, but also don't know what their final uh, directive is because their minds are wiped at the end of every mission. So So it's only... Yeah. See, so, yeah, like all these Eternals are coming in, and like other than obviously in this case Ajax and um, Icarus, they're all going in and they're being presented with the idea of like you go, you need to go in and like protect all these humans and like not interfere in their like doings, but you have to just make sure that they stay alive and like continue growing. So their purpose is like, okay, cool, mm-hmm. we're here to protect and like save all of these people, but not knowing that their actual purpose is to just increase the amount of intelligent life so that the Celestial can be born. And you mentioned something that I think a lot of people are asking, those who were going into the movie and some who haven't even seen the movie who are also asking, I've heard people talk about this, is like, oh, well, if there are 10 superpower god Eternals, why didn't they uh, intervene during all these other conflicts, namely, uh, you know, Infinity War, Thanos, you know, the whole universe being wiped. And like you said, they were instructed by the Celestials to not interfere with anything other than to protect the humans from deviant specifically right so i think we should just clarify that which is that's why we haven't seen them before and um, also I, I think it's important that like if you've seen the movie um or heard about the movie people might use that as a criticism right because in the trailer they that that line is delivered that they were instructed not to involve in any conflicts um that didn't involve deviance, but they do interfere with humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they kind of like break their own rules. But yeah, it's, it's normally to a very limited capacity and for different reasons. And there's kind of a, you see flashbacks throughout the movie that I think kind of pre- presented as like the Eternals themselves as they spend more and more time on earth change their position on how much they should interact with the humans based on how much they care about them and what they've witnessed throughout history, right? So Mm -hmm. um, I bring that up to say, you know, they don't want to directly stop human conflict or interfere in a war, you know, whether that's World War II or Infinity War in this case, right? But I think it's like something interesting is they could have easily influenced the events of those movies. I think that's kind of implied or left yeah. up in the air as a possibility, which is kind of interesting. Um, I don't, I don't want to get too much into theories right now, but I just wanted to clarify that. <laughs> yes. That comes later. Factor. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. And I, I do think like having obviously now seen the full movie and you finish it, and you learn of the true intentions of their celestial, um, whose name is M? Can someone tell me is Arifem? Arishem. Arishem. Oh, Arishem. Who is the first celestial? Right, that's true. Arishem. I think is interesting. He basically, from the way they presented in the movie, what we know about the Marvel Universe version of this, he basically created the universe, which then created more celestials. So this guy basically is God, more or less. creator sense and in the sense that he's basically ruling over how everything is done right the literal laws of nature in this universe you know 
or in all universes technically right or something like that mm-hmm. anyway um so i feel like the fact that the eternal sometimes did dip into the side of interfering for example you know with like you said fasto such a great character you see him it's implied that he was involved with the creation of the nuclear bomb right because his one of his jobs as an eternal is to help humankind's technology progress so that they can protect themselves against threats. Um, and I think that the reason that those kind of things still happen, it goes to show that like, it kind of goes to show the invalidity of their mission. You know what I mean? And like how things aren't as cut and dry as they seem as we learn, you know what I mean? That they can violate those things and nothing happens kind of like a statement on how the celestial is operating and that it doesn't really matter if they interfere because at the end of the day, or the end of however long this era is, the Celestial plans to kill everyone on the planet anyway, right? So it's interesting seeing like the 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 way that the rules are being bent by them, which first seem like plot holes or something like that, but are then kind of justified in the sense of like, oh shit, this is a totally different set of scales, you know? So yeah, and I also think a lot of the plot holes get filled in by the fact that you understand that, like, the exposition that we get at the beginning, right, about their mission and everything that they've been told, that's coming straight from Arishem, who doesn't want them to know that their purpose is to enable the destruction of a planet and essentially, like, genocide. Because, yeah, in order um, to be born, the Celestial just, like, breaks through and destroys the entire planet. Like, I don't know if we can clarify. Yeah, they're massive. They're massive beings. Um but it's like, you realize that a lot of the plot holes, because it's like, why are they doing these things? Uh, if this is their mission and they're not supposed to interfere, etc. It's because, like, I, I, the way I see it, and I think the way it's supposed to be presented is, like, Airship's basically manipulating them. Uh, they're just, like, tools to him. So you'll hear, like, parts where Ajak, you know, is like, we're not supposed to interfere, you know, don't do this. Um, we can't give them this kind of technology. But then... You know, the movie presents this as a twist later on when you find out the purpose of their true mission. I think things begin to make sense retroactively because they didn't actually know what was going on. Uh, at least the large majority of them did not know what was actually going on. So, I don't know. I think it's pretty interesting because it, it makes it feel a lot more real because you get these weird gray areas where... Um, it's like, I mean, Ajak is the leader of the Eternals, right? In this case, she knew the entire time what their mission was, but concealed that information from them, but then had a change of heart to tell them. And, uh, like, it just feels a lot more morally questionable. I mean, even if we want to talk about the aspect that, you know, a planet has to be sacrificed along with everything on it in order to create another galaxy where more life will be found. Um, I think it makes the movie feel a lot different in certain ways than previous Marvel movies. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Especially like, like you said, like this possibly poses actually, personally, I'd say it definitely poses the biggest philosophical question, the biggest set of uh, moral conflicts that the viewer has to, kind of undergo in terms of who they want to relate to, you Which know, I mean, in this universe. Like, it, yeah. it honestly ends up being kind of like a similar, 
not not exactly the same, but kind of like a similar style of debate to like Thanos's whole purpose of like, which I guess could be boiled down to utilitarianism, which is where he said like, you know, destroy half the half of the life so that the other half can you know like thrive more. This is just like yeah. take but out this an is entire like a planet. huge scale. Yeah, this is like take out like to, an to entire see. planet of people, the entire planet like ecosystem, just the entire planet no longer yeah. in existence. In but not just that, take people. out an entire planet in order to create hundreds of thousands of more planets yeah another universe basically yeah Yeah. it's like base well i i say the universe because it's like if the eternals just went around um remembering everything and wanted to stop every celestial from being born like they they could do that um until they're stopped by erisham but besides that if they did it's implied at least from what they've told by erisham that life would just eventually stop existing you know it's not like earth on its own can sustain itself forever or any planet so mm-hmm. without the creation of new planets essentially the expansion of the universe right not to get into real physics because which is a which I mean, it's a real do. concept which is that but the yeah. universe is constantly expanding right it could just so. yeah it could lead to like the barren just the the rest of everything becoming barren no new life is created um mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's it's interesting in a way because not only is like what the Celestials are doing questionable, that also makes what the Eternals are doing questionable. You know, there's right, like exactly if one is the other is because they're working against each other. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It makes you think like how much is Erishim lying? How much is uh, to what degree? Is there another way? Basically, is what I'm what I mean. To yeah, exactly, you know I mean? and that's. That's why I wanted to point out that he is the first Celestial, you know, because I think it's interesting, like, he basically, it's implied, at least, that he kind of rules at his own decree, and, you know, he created the Eternals, he created the Deviants, he's creating other Celestials, it could all just be selfish, what he's told them, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. his intervention is not necessary to create more life and maybe other celestials don't necessarily agree with him you know but if he created the eternals and controls their memory essentially controlling their entire perception of reality that could just be the case for other celestials right i don't know i think that's something that's not directly explored in this movie but i think it leaves a lot of room and like it presents a background where a lot of interesting things can happen yeah it leaves it leaves the viewer wondering and having these conversations with amongst each other of like, Oh, what, what could happen next? You know what I mean? Cause it, it really is interesting to think about how the set of laws of this entire universe, you know, can be changed and or redefined. And that's, what's so like different about this movie. Like you said, is cause it's such a different scale, you know, normally after, you know, you watch captain America, the winter soldier, it's like, Oh, where's, Where's Cap going to go next? Where is he going to find Bucky? Blah, blah, blah. They all seem so, like, tiny and insignificant to, like, question what's going to happen to the entire universe. You know what I mean? Or not even more than that. You know, it's 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 a huge scale. And it kind of, I said this at the time, too, it kind of harkens and makes me reminiscent of, like, a, a more of a darker DC Zack Snyder type movie. These are the kinds of philosophical and moral questions, not the same scale, but the same kind of questions I feel like 
I had after watching like Batman versus Superman. You know what I mean? Cause there's, there's, I feel like the, the similarities between like a Zack Snyder movie and this movie is like very, both these directors seem to be very big on symbolism and things that are grand, you know? I mean, there are multiple, like you mentioned one, like Icarus uh, comparisons to the, the, the legend of Icarus and all, all the Eternals have names that relate to other legends. And of course it's kind of explained and implied that they inspired those legends within this universe, but it also, it's kind of, it's almost a little meta because it also draws comparisons to the legends that we know that are, are real in our universe, if that makes sense. So yeah, which like there's a lot of symbolism, yeah. Yeah, which even goes farther than just Icarus. Like you know, Icarus and like the legend of like the boy who flew too close to the sun. Um, like mm-hmm. going farther, even like in their names, like Fa- like Festos, the um the eternal whose yeah. power is like engineering, like kind of similar to the like I I don't know if it's the Greek name or the Roman name, but Hephaestus. It's Greek. Greek, yeah, yeah. the Greek god is Hephaestus, which is like the god of just like I don't know, I don't know what right. he's and then god Athena, of, like, you have Athena, yeah. yeah. So and so on and so on. Sprite, of course, is a legendary uh, type of mythical creature in all of in a lot of different folklore. So, you know, all of them relate to something. Are and are. Oh, there you go. There's Sprite. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like a green dot on my screen, but I think that's Sprite. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Easier. Yeah, that was. <laughs> right. So, yeah, and of course. The next, I think the next relevant topic with this movie, in terms of the story and writing, is the characters. Nice. Can we see that? Can we get a close up of that? Right now, for our audio listeners, yeah, Gemma Chan, Gemma yes, Chan, uh, Cersei, uh, Happy Meal Toy. Something cool I didn't know about this. Yours also probably does this, Connor. All right. There's a hole in the bottom of the toy that if you put a light through, it makes them glow. Okay, I saw the hole on the bottom, but I wasn't sure what its purpose was. Yeah, it shines light up through the center of their chest where it glows in the movie. Oh, that's so cool. That's what the hole is for. I was doing it all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That is really neat. Uh, It has multiple uses, you know? (laughs) Just to say what's wrong Um, and what's right in the deal. That's the theme of this movie. This podcast. That is one of the themes of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to bring up, though, uh, before I forget, it's interesting that you use, like, the scale of, like, Captain America as a comparison, um, because I think also, like, just, like, the scale of the consequences and stuff, I agree with you. Obviously, there's a big difference. But I think also, like, the the scale of, like, what the viewer is being confronted by is a lot larger, like, in a non-physical sense. Um mm-hmm. Like, Captain America, I think, is a good example because you never really, like, question what he's doing. Like, you could argue there's <laughs> questions to be asked in Civil War, but I disagree with that. I don't want to go into that. I think most of the time, Cap's pretty clear-cut, dry, doing the right thing, good guy, you know, like, from mm-hmm. the get-go, he, like, jumps on a fucking Which is his grade. character, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not saying that's bad, but it's, like, yeah. comparing something like that in the MCU to something like this, it feels a lot... More, more complex. interesting and co- yeah, yeah complex is a good word but you know and not even you know cap's character is like predicated on this like sense of doing the right thing so maybe that's a bad example but even someone like 
uh, name any MCU character. Is there really um, an example you can think of where you're questioning what they're doing constantly? A lot of the times, they kind of just do the right thing, and the person that they're fighting is not really redeemable. I guess, you know, there's that whole thing where, like, oh, well, Thanos was, like, maybe doing the right thing, which connects to this also, movie. Yeah, I was going to say. But it's presented in a way that they're not. I feel like this movie genuinely presents it in a sense of unknown. Like, for example, Kingo, um, which is another part of this movie that I really liked. They're preparing to stop the Celestial's birth, right? And uh, Icarus doesn't want this to happen. And Kingo is pissed at Icarus because he he killed Ajax to try to right. help the birth of the Celestial. But Kingo's also like, I'm not going to help Icarus, but I'm not going to help you guys because I don't know I if faith. I... I think he says, I have faith in Erisham or something like that. Yeah, he says he says it goes against his beliefs, you know. And before yeah. that, he's talking about like we could stop the the birth of billions if we do this, and he just walks out. He doesn't come back during the fight. There's no moment after that that you see him until the very end of the movie. He just leaves because he's like, I don't know if this is the right thing. I think yeah. that's like a pretty good example of this movie being different. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, like. Yeah. It's like like one the scale of the actual conflict itself, and like two like even in the bigger ensemble movies like you know event like any of the Avengers movies, Infinity War, Endgame, like all those movies, yes, they do have a bunch of individual characters with like their own kind of variety of a take on the situation, but at the end of the day, they're still about you know the specific characters. Whereas this movie, while it does have the specific characters in each of the Eternals, I feel like just as a whole, it's more so about like the plot and like the drama and you know like the problems and, like how the problem is being dealt with on all sides more so than like how an individual is processing the problem you know mm-hmm. they're also like it's insane to keep in mind um like a core part of this movie is like all of them being confronted with the fact that their reality is just not real because they don't even have their memories right They've existed mm-hmm. for millions of years and they just don't even know it until it's revealed to them this time again. And like, they don't even know what's true. You know what I mean? You've been told one thing your whole life and then you're told that you don't have memory of what you were told and experienced before that. It's like such a dynamic thing to explore. I think for a Marvel movie, it feels yeah. a lot like, it's not like everyone's just, just like sitting around, you know, breezing through the plot, coming up with a plan, pulling something off crazy to set up their plan and then doing it. It's like they're really like conflicted for most of the movie and not sure if they even want to come up with a plan. You know, it reminds me of kind of the old pre MCU Marvel movies, right? Those first few X Men movies, Blade. Uh, Ghost Rider, you could argue to some degree, in the sense that, like, because they're not so focused on not being a standalone movie and having to relate to a whole universe of other characters and having bigger uh, moral issues to to wrestle with, they they have a totally different sense of scale and a totally different sense of weight to them, you know, um, and. But it's still, of course, in Eternals, you still get a kind of like a, a good mix of some MCU kind of 
inventions. I mean, some could argue a little bit of the humor. Um, you know, there are ties to future Marvel projects. They're not necessarily shoved down your throat, but there are things that tie into the universe. So it kind of feels like a little bit of both, a little, maybe the best of both worlds, arguably. And, you know, I had said this to, uh, you know, our good friend Evan, who's been on the podcast before, but Eternals isn't a perfect movie by any measure, but I think it is a great movie and it is more than 100% a step in the right direction. And I hope that more big Marvel movies and superhero movies can can be more like that, you know, and go back to their, their roots and try to learn from that sort of thing. And another piece um, on the like ambition of the movie is like, like Marvel, I mean, Marvel like obviously doesn't have like just all like white male superheroes, but like that is a large majority of the like you know the people yeah. you'll see like the like you know Hulk, Captain America, Iron Man, Spider Man. Like you're just seeing these white males, and in this cast, it is like it is very much all over the place as far as like gender, as far as ethnicity, and one of the main characters too like doesn't doesn't speak in the movie. They're I'm not sure if it's like shown that they're like deaf or just like mute in some way, but they communicate with sign language throughout the entire movie, which is not something that's been seen in a superhero film before. So like, I think this is kind of give in, increasing the the range of the superhero genre to a, like to include relatability to a lot more people, which I think is another really I mean this is really awesome. This is also the first movie in the MCU. Okay, listen, technically speaking, it's not. But it's, like, really the first movie with an actually open gay character also. The only one yeah. before that was in Endgame. It was, like, a cameo by one of the Russo brothers, which I, I... I don't know. I feel like that was a lot more subtle, and it's not the same as actually having a main character be mm-hmm. gay. You know? Oh, yeah. Having, like, a, a one-off scene where someone mentions having a husband isn't the same yeah. as the way this it feels, presented justice. This feels movie. more like... Like kind of like oh, imagine if Iron Man was gay and, and the whole series of Marvel movies instead of seeing Pepper Potts, you saw a guy. You know what I mean? This feels more like it could be kind of that sort of. Thing. Oh, and it, de- it definitely yeah, it's doesn't... actually like genuine. I think not yeah. to say the other instance yeah. wasn't, but you know, and right. it it doesn't at all like at any point feel like it's like oh they just threw this in to be inclusive or like forced. Like it had just like the kind of natural flow to like as far as the like the scene where Festus is like or where the. Icarus and Cersei are introduced to Hephaestus, or Hephaestus's husband and child. Like it just, it felt like it had the natural flow of if the same exact scene was done it, like, from a heterosexual couple's position, like well, in any other. And movie. even regarding like the way they look and the diversity of that, like it also ties into their quote-unquote design, you know, by Erishim in the sense that like he kind of explains and implies that. He had to innovate with them to make them different from the deviants. You know what I mean? And it just goes to show, I think, that there's actual purpose to it. You know what I mean? Like you said, it doesn't feel forced. Like, for example, um, if you remember, there's a part where Sprite, you know, she's kind of shown throughout the movie to be frustrated with being tiny, looking much younger than the rest of them, having to eternally look like that, you know, that's kind of shown a little bit. And functionally, and, in the world, living with humans, she is a child to a to yeah, human. She'll, she'll be a child forever to them, yeah. And she has to deal with that. And she says, I believe the quote is something like, why did he make me like this? 
you know, and she's like crying. And so, yeah, basically what I'm trying to say is that I think that their diversity actually helps the storytelling in that way, because if they were all, like you said, like one archetype or this the usual, so to speak, it wouldn't have been as interesting. Yeah. And like this, like it farthers into their powers too. Like as far as developing the diversity, cause they each like, while the like visual well, effects have like, gay powers, I think. <laughs> no, like, as far as like visually <laughs> and just, just like kidding. effectively, like how the powers work and what they do and like their purpose, whether that be like, an assistive purpose, like defensive, offensive, like they all have very different powers that build into their characters which, a lot. Like Druid, which I want to talk about is, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say like Druid is one of the Eternals, and his power is like mainly mind control, as far as just like you know being able to take over, and he like struggles with that a lot throughout the movie because they're you know as we talked about earlier, they're told not to get involved yeah. in human conflict, but he is somebody who can like with like just by yeah. thinking about it could save could stop all human conflict yeah like he could stop wars and there's a big scene where they're at i don't remember the name of the place that they were at or the specific conflict that they were in i think it's techno i don't know how to pronounce it mm-hmm. are you talking about the one with the spaniards yes 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 yeah that's tech i don't know how to pronounce it t-e-c-h-n-o i don't want to mispronounce it i could look up I'll see if I'll look for it, but keep going, Connor. Yeah, but so, basically, like, all the Eternals are, like, they have gotten rid of the Deviants in this area, and they're all sitting on top of this kind of, like, pyramid. Not a pyramid, but it's, you know, like a, like a temple-type-esque thing. And they're all up there, like, okay, we just, we are done here. We cannot get involved. And outside, you were just seeing, like, genocide happening. Like, this group comes in with increased, we- like, infantry weapons, and they are taking out a native population that is incapable of defending themselves. And he's standing there like, I can literally, with a single thought, stop this entire conflict and save everybody involved. And all the, like, the internals in charge, like Ajax in charge is telling him, like, you cannot get involved, like, you cannot do this. And he's just, like, it is destroying him because he, like, he is sent there to save them and to, like, help people and he can't do it, even though he has the ability to. So in that scene, he ends up, like similar to what Kingo does later on, he just walks away from the internals. He says, I cannot do this anymore. Like, I cannot, like, morally bring myself to continue mm-hmm. acting the same way so in that scene he just leaves the rest of the eternals stops the entire conflict and leaves right uh, that was a really powerful scene too and it they, they did a good job i think of explaining why the eternals split off from each other it doesn't feel ingenuine it doesn't feel like like we you know like we were talking to someone about it and it's like well it's just a classic like get the band back together thing like we've seen a hundred times in all these other movies but it's not like that because they all have moral principle reasons as to why they decided to cut themselves off with those who have um and backtracking a little bit to the diversity thing i just want to mention before i forget like props to uh, i can't believe i'm saying this but props to disney and props to marvel because because of their inclusion of specifically the uh, the gay couple, they the movie did not get released in China and uh, I believe Saudi Arabia. And China's so, like a really really big market for Marvel movies too. Yeah, so that's like that is the big bigger than impact. America. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously they don't need it, but I mean, it's still you know, it's still money that they're choosing not to take in order for principles. Or I mean, I guess you could argue it's blah blah blah. But whatever the case is on its surface level, 
there's some respect in whoever made that decision, I feel like. So props to them for that and props to them for also backing up their director, um, not just through the story and doing a standalone movie, but for that too. So I just wanted to say that. And also, like you said, regarding their powers and them having different ones, it's I think it's worth mentioning that in the, and we've talked about this a little bit, is like in the original comics, they all had the same powers. They all just had energy celestial powers generically now there were things where some of them were better at certain powers so they use those more but i what i like in this movie like you were talking about is like they all have specific powers that relate to their identity and their principles too you know so the movie would have been a lot less complex with their characters i feel like if they all just shot energy balls you know Oh yeah. So, because like even like yeah. in the end, you know, the, the conflict comes to comes to a a high point, and they end up like all fighting each other, and that fight becomes very comp, like very interesting and like dynamic to watch because mm-hmm. you see Icarus at the at the lead of trying to stop the Eternals and let the Celestial be born, and he is one of the strongest offensive Eternals. He has like energy lasers that come out of his eyes, and he is basically Superman. Yeah, like he is, he can fly, like he is. Yeah just incredibly strong whereas cersei's powers are mostly used defensively in the entire thing like you see her in one of the opening scenes there's like an earthquake and she's a a teacher at a school and there's a big trilobite Mm -hmm. like fossil on the wall that is about to fall like onto one of the children and she reaches up and like puts her hand on it and transforms it into dust so that it doesn't fall and collapse and like that's her power is like just transforming matter into it's it, it's it seems kind of like just like i don't know just transforming in general because there's a lot of different ways that she ends up doing it from like dust to rose petals to birds in, in one of the scenarios and it's really interesting it actually is interesting to see and they obviously make a joke out of it in the movie when they're doing the the documentary on the plane and she's like oh i turn rocks into metal and metal into rocks and that kind of thing and that was a that was a funny joke but it could i, I think that just goes to show that us describing it, it sounds simple, but seeing it, it actually looks really cool mm-hmm. and useful in uh, in battle and whatnot. Um, oh yeah, like yeah. So I don't know. Was Ajax's power ever like specifically pointed out? She heals. Okay. Yeah, she, she heals. Yeah. Ajax is able to heal. Cersei transforms. Icarus is kind of like the Superman style: lasers from the eyes, flies, super strong. Kingo is able to like form energy with his hands and use that offensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sprite is able to create illusions and like just kind of, I, I guess illusions is the best way to say it. Just like something like visual yeah. changes yeah. in the environment. Uh, Festos, like we talked about earlier, is like engineering. He's able to like create and manipulate materials. Design. Um, mm-hmm. Makari was the character that was uh, mute and used sign language. Uh, she had speed, like she could just super speed, run really fast. Uh, Gilgamesh had kind of like a brute force, like in, like using the energy. Yeah, that awesome, force. that awesome one punch thing he did. Oh yeah, his his powers. Um, were that's not a reference. I don't know anything, by the way. I know that people talk about one punch or some sort of show or something. One punch one, man. Yeah, I, yeah. Honestly, people talk about that a lot. To be fair, I don't know anything about that. I don't know. I'm not saying it's not original. I don't know if that's what that's about, but it seems like his classic movies, like the one punch thing. And it's so absurdly powerful. It's awesome to watch. And then um, Fina is able to materialize like different weapons. styles of weapons and shields in order to just like, and she fights in a and more she's like, known traditional. As the, 
She's yeah. known as the greatest warrior in history, too. You know? Yeah, because like, it does... Again, leads to the... Yeah, because yeah, they do talk about at some point, like, she, for a period of time, protected Athens and, like, be- like started the... Like, the goddess Athena storyline. Or not storyline. The legend, you know, yeah. yeah. the legend of the goddess yeah. Athena. Storyline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, those are pretty very good descriptions and also i should say like the powers being different also lends to the fact that the deviants absorb their powers in this uh, in this movie we see them you know they first absorb ajax powers and we watch them heal themselves which makes them more formidable and so on through gilgamesh um, and whatnot so that was i think that was cool to see i know they're uh, you know speaking of uh, quote-unquote flaws i know that there was some discussion and i'd like to hear your thoughts about the prime deviant uh what did you guys think of the prime deviant do you think it could have been done better do you think that their deviants uh alliances towards the end should have been more sided with the eternals or what do you guys think about that if if anything i think i don't know the one scene where the deviant like where the deviant killed ajak and took in her healing power and kind of like pushed that power out to the other deviants, making them stronger. I like that a lot. The scene it's where cool. one of the deviants killed Gilgamesh and took in his power and then through that developed a more humanoid form and like the ability to communicate. There was only like that really like the one-off scene in the middle where he talked and then the scene kind of like the the final fight scene with Athena. That I thought was a little bit confusing, but it also definitely like solidified the deviants perspective where they were like, yeah, we were sent here to protect. And we, we have just been trying to live on this planet that we were sent to. And you guys have been like just mass murdering us for centuries. And it like kind of, kind of shows the perspective of just what has to this point been a mute mm-hmm. lion tiger, like just kind right. of, you know, rabid animal type. The devi- Cause the deviants are basically, you know, quote unquote gods, like a, gods being the celestials like abomination you know they're cast aside and are being targeted because they were failed creation you know so that's a really interesting dynamic to explore because yeah. um, it's like you can't even at that point really be upset with the deviants and be like oh no why are the deviants doing this like that is just like they were just created and then tossed aside and now this is their only like ability and purpose is to do this so like even while you're not really like, oh, I want the Deviants to win, you're just like, okay, yeah, I just kind of understand what they're doing and, like, why they right. do what they do. And when we, like, talk about and think about that, I, I feel like, okay, it makes sense that the Deviants wouldn't side with the Eternals at the end to stop the Celestial from being born. But I know some people were kind of thrown off by that and felt like the Deviants uh, got mis- not misused, but, like, underused towards the end? I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you, do you think that there was a I mean, good ending to their story? Here's the thing. I feel like I want to say a few things first. Mm-hmm. Um, the Deviants, like, you know, the Prime Deviant absorbing Gilgamesh and being able to speak and communicate, I think feels weird because you're seeing these, like, previously just, like, animalistic, generic CGI characters... Yeah turn into something more human. But I also think it's kind of important they did that because I think the deviants are going to continue to play a role 
in the Eternals in this universe. Saga, and like in the yeah. comics, they were just humanoid characters that could communicate. Right? Oh, so, so like so they were like more humanoid. Okay, I didn't know that about them in the comics. Yeah. Um, I don't know that much about it, but I know they were humanoid. But, like they had human-looking faces and could speak. Um, so I think obviously, like it's kind of important to show that they are sentient. Just because they can't speak doesn't mean they aren't, and it is important to show their side of it. And I also think it functions as a way to communicate directly to the viewer more of the like moral ambiguity of what the Eternals are doing, right? Because it's like oh, well, we were sent here to kill the Deviants and they were killing people, so it's fine that we kill them, right? But then, like, is it really? Like, you're just just following orders, you know, the classic, uh, I don't want to yeah. get down this whole conversation, but it's kind of insane to think about how the Eternals, like, they kind of don't care, you know? Like, yeah, like, the yeah. Prime Deviants attacking them and isn't really open to, like, fucking you know, making amends, obviously, but also, like, what else are they going to do? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, at that they were point, sent to kill them, and they just kind of, I think they're going to reflect on it more in the future, is my point, you know what I mean? It does feel like that part of the movie is a little bit rushed, um, but I think there's, like, reasons that it kind of comes off as weird, and I also think it's, like, Icarus says, you know, like, when he feeds Ajax to the Deviants, oh, this will just, you know, buy me time until the emergence happens because everyone will have to deal with this. Um, I think that's kind of, like, reflective of the role they play in the movie. It feels like more of a distraction for them to deal with. Uh, but I did like the last scene with the Deviant, um, just separately from all of this. Mm -hmm. I like the last scene with Thena. Thought it was like really creepy and weird the way he was like binding her wrists and like whispering in her ear in the voice of Gilgamesh yeah. and talking about how he had all of their memories. Yeah, um, that's kind of yeah, it's messed up, but like in a very interesting way. Yeah, I thought it was like a I thought it was a fine ending. I mean, because the thing is, just because this prime deviant gets killed by Thena and it feels kind of like rushed, it sets the stage because. If any other deviant had absorbed those powers, right, and become able to communicate, it would have still expressed the same things. Because I think the main fact of the matter is that I, I could be wrong here, but he talks about how he he has all of their memories, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that it's like he becomes aware of the massacre that the Eternals have caused because he has their memories, not because. Prior to absorbing them, he was aware enough to understand the scale of what was happening. You know what I mean? As yeah. like a, an animal running around killing humans, I don't think there's a, a degree of awareness. I don't know. I think it is basically like deviants in their normal form aren't completely like sentient and intelligent. But by absorbing the Eternals, they're able to evolve, which was their main flaw originally, right? And right. become closer to the Eternals. And like you said, they're kind of like just a, a screwed up version of them that shouldn't have been created in the eyes of their creator. <laughs> right. 
An interesting, in, in um, just interesting piece of information that Darian told me after we watched is that Thanos is like canonically celestial. half eternal. Oh, is he a celestial? Or excuse me, excuse he's, half, me. Yeah, half you're right. he's an eternal. Yeah, Thanos is half eternal, half deviant, right? That's what Darian had said to me. That could is that correct? Sounds right. It's um, not confirmed in the MCU, but in the not, comics, not in the MCU. Yeah, he's like a cast off. I mean, he also like. I don't know, it's weird because I th- I think the reason Thanos actually looks different is because he has some, like, rare disorder that makes him look purple, which is why he's mm-hmm. cast off. Um, you could probably do a quick search. I don't know, you might be currently, but... Yeah. Let's see, in the comics, Thanos is an Eternal for a very important bloodline. His father was son of Kronos, who ruled Eternals following the Civil War. Um... This took him to Titan, his own group of Eternals, using a genetic device. Okay, this is totally different. But Okay, he, so on. he is Eternal, but he was born with a Deviant Syndrome, is what this is saying. Yeah, I just see that here. An Eternal getting a Deviant-like mutation was dubbed Deviant Syndrome, the way Thanos looks with his purple skin and ridged chin. So we'll see what, if they adapt that in the movies. I kind of hope they do. They probably will, I feel like. They definitely will, because he looks like completely different being compared to Harry Styles, uh, who's his yeah. brother, apparently, as we learned in the, the post-credit scene. Connor, what'd you think of the post-credit scene real quick? The post-credit scene? Uh, we're talking about the, or the mid-credit scene with Harry oh, Styles, excuse right? Me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That I thought was very interesting. Uh, like just developing like the fact, like the Thanos's brother character. Cause I think that might give us more background, like in future movies in like, you know, maybe Doc Strange, Multiverse of Madness, maybe in, in Eternals too, but just like kind of giving us more background to the character of Thanos and maybe helping to explain his upbringing and even give more context to Endgame and to like, or I guess to the Infinity War Endgame, like Thanos' decision-making there and the things that happened. And I'll say two things. Firstly, like, whichever Marvel, and I said this probably to you guys, is like, whichever Marvel executive made the decision to cast Harry Styles as a character in the MCU, I guess to their job, because I don't know about you guys, but in my theater, every single female screamed the moment he appeared on the You know, the people were really hyped to see that when audibly. I, when I saw it with Darian, Darian and I made up 50% of the viewing audience, so there wasn't much of that. But I personally was pretty excited, because one, Harry Styles is hot. And two, I just think that'll bring in, like, a, a lot of people who maybe had been starting to get a little bit... Either had been starting to get a little bored with the, Mar- with the MCU, or people who had never been interested, but are Harry Styles fans. Or, like, a younger audience, even, that hasn't been into it yet. And they're like, oh, mm-hmm. this celebrity that we like is in the MCU. Which is honestly, like, just a good marketing yeah. move. And also, it's just fun to Marketing-wise, it's genius. Oh, yeah. And it's also just fun for the audience to be able to see people that, you know, celebrities that we know from other things be introduced into this and see like, you know, a new character represented by these people. Like, I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> the only thing that's not marketing genius about it is the character that they chose to represent, because that's going to be pretty interesting. I think obviously they cannot do what was done in the comics, but like, uh, I think he's... the character that he's playing is called star Fox, but it's, Eros. he's also called Eros and his whole thing is like controlling physical slash sexual attraction of other people to himself um and i just want to say i don't know if we talked about this nabil 
But there's an actual, like, real comic where he's tried for sexual assault and defended by She-Hulk in court. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, so all I'm saying is She-Hulk's coming out I soon. I don't. They're going to going anywhere. <laughs> if they touch that, Marvel's done. <laughs> it's it's given, the, given the actor they have playing him, and obviously it being Disney, I doubt we get anything like that. I think it's I just going to be... He's just going to be a heartthrob, obviously, who's, yeah. like, good with women, and it's like, oh, and also, he's going to be, like, he's, his role, I feel like, is just going to be explaining the whole Thanos yeah. thing, and or just, maybe you know, joining the Eternals as some sort of, I don't know what his powers are, I don't remember, but, yeah. Well, that... <laughs> and the Pips knows oh, like, oh, that's all his powers? Okay. Yeah. I mean, he probably has some kind of fighting ability, but here's what I'm saying, right? If he's just, like, a charmer, and they play into that for a joke, it has some dark implications, you know? Like, if there's one female character that's into him, and his whole gimmick is charming people, mm -hmm. it's kind of sus, you know what I mean? So yeah, I could change they might just thing. have to completely change it, yeah. They might have to. This, the way but I, I don't know, I like the, the line in the mid-credits scene where he's like, Talking to Thena, and he's like, "You're even more beautiful than the, the legends say." So they're already kind of playing into that. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And where I'm, where I'm reading right, funny. what I'm reading right now, it's saying he has the power to physically control other people's emotions, which I guess can probably like will probably end up being played in less of a sexual way and more of I don't know. I don't really know how that's going to play out. I think that'll be something to see for I sure. I think it's going to make him like, because you know, Eros and. Roman mythology is the god of love or something. I bet they'll just do some shit like that where it's like that's his whatever. You know what I mean? They're not gonna go anywhere, obviously. I think like the the idea of him just controlling emotions is interesting, but I think they're also gonna have to differentiate him from Druid. You know what I mean? That's gonna be the True. weird part. They have to make him True. not seem like Druid. Unless he's not or, gonna be the main character, which would be kinda sad because I wanna see Harry Styles play a significant role. It'd be funny. Hmm. Uh, maybe we'll see. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I guess I I could see him becoming a, an eternal like uh, on the team. You know, I'm sure a few of them will die in the next movie. I could see that happening. Well, um, I also think it's interesting to think about like what is what's going on, right? Because all the Eternals have their memories wiped, and Harry Styles shows up, and he's like, "I know, I know how to help you guys. I have this." device that lets me communicate with Arishem just in my hand. Like, he basically... It, it seems like he's already broken out of the system that they were in at the beginning of this movie. Right, you know, so he's he going to be more of like about, a guide to that side of the universe, maybe. Yeah, like, maybe there's other Eternals who have already been like, fuck this, I'm not going to work for Arishem, that's bullshit, I'm going to go help people. There are like, more celebrity Eternals. There's like a... I don't know, <laughs> Adam Sandler Eternal... Eternal. <laughs> Because yeah, that yeah, is like Hollywood. random celebrities. Yeah, something they did with Kingo's character. Too. I just thought, I thought the whole thing they did with Kingo's character was so funny. Where he's like, "Yeah, oh yeah, that my was... great grandfather, grandfather, father, and like I are all in like this lineage of like Bollywood actors." When it's really just all him because he's been yeah. alive the whole time, and he like I is, that was really good. He just is like an Earth celebrity, and he has like throughout the whole thing a human coming with him, just filming stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know, just that level of interaction. Is a like, human, all right. Yeah. <laughs> is that is that a something something? 
Well, I don't, I don't know. I'll save it for the theories if we want to get into this at a specific point because I'll oh. derail everything about what we're discussing. I just want to cover all our bases on the uh, plot or the characters and whatnot in this movie first. Um, Cersei and Icarus. Thoughts on their, their relationship and chemistry? I will say it was it was good. It was fine. I do have some thoughts, but I want to wait till your guys' opinions. But I, what I want to say also is like the chemistry between Druig and uh, Makari. I feel like was really good, and we saw even less of them than Icarus and Cersei. So anyway, I the actor that plays Druig is so fucking good, dude. Yeah, I, I he's think been, he's awesome. Yeah, yeah I like good actor. Uh, something about the Cersei Icarus like romantic aspects that I did enjoy was like. They, they gave enough backstory throughout it, like, at, like, appropriately spaced times, but, like, to explain that, like, at a point in the past, they were married and in, like, a long-term romantic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. But another thing that I liked that they did, though, was, like, they kind of teased at, like, Icarus still wanting to get back together with Cersei and still, like, had those feelings. But because of, like, XYZ reasons that had happened throughout time, Cersei just, like, that was just no longer an option. And Cersei had, like started the movie with a human boyfriend, or with like a non-eternal uh, significant other, Dane Whitman. Yeah, and I don't know, just the the fact that like they were able to kind of keep that going throughout and didn't just like give up that character, weren't like, oh, Icarus is back, throw Dane out, and like they're getting back together. I like that like they were able to show that like kind of romantic, like ca- like history chemistry conflict here while maintaining like this other separate relationship i thought that that was a good like writing piece as far as that relationship went yeah and um i agree i I, i've heard some uh you know i listen to a few movie podcasts myself and i've read the reviews and i've talked to people some people seem to have an opinion that the the chemistry between icarus and cersei isn't as good as it should be now here's what i think having discussed this, having this discussion with you guys and also my own thoughts is like, I do think the chemistry is stronger between Makari and Druig. However, I think that the reason as to why Icarus and Cersei's chemistry is less so is because, like Connor mentioned, we're a hundred years, I think it's a hundred years since their last, we're last in a relationship, right? At least a mm-hmm. century. So I feel like it makes sense that they would be detached from most of the movie. And then especially after the midpoint of the movie, when you find out that Icarus is betraying them, more or less, right? So I feel like when you consider the plot, it makes sense as to why they are in all. Oh, yeah. And like, you know, I mean, like the like the more flashback scenes where it was showing the like the development of that relationship. I feel like in those scenes, they did have like a lot yeah. of visible chemistry, like in like, especially sex. in the first, yeah, in, especially in the first sex. scene when they get together. Sex. 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 Right, yeah, go ahead. The only flashbacks we get are of the beginning of their relationship also. That is true. true. That is true, but I feel like also so, that, like, those are the only things that really is necessary as far as... It seems plot. like we're missing a big chunk, and I wonder if we're gonna see that in future movies as, like, a flashback almost, Well, yeah, you know? there's plenty of time to see it, I think. I think it's interesting that they were able to, like... I, I don't know. Despite whatever amount of chemistry you saw between the two characters, I think they used it in the way that they intended to well. You know, like, at the end, Icarus could have just killed Cersei and prevented 
them from stopping the celestial. But he couldn't break himself. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like everyone else, or largely everyone on the team, saw something in humanity and Earth and life that they wanted to that made them want to stop the emergence and the death of this planet. Icarus Mm -hmm. had such an allegiance to Erisham that he did not see that, but what he saw in Cersei allowed him to stop himself. You know, I think it's like, I think that's interesting. You know what I mean? Even though he didn't necessarily see what all of them saw in humans, he saw something in Cersei. And I think it's also like related to the fact that it's not like the Eternals are like sent on their mission, all wanting to fuck and date each other. Like, I think they develop their ideas of those relationships based on how they see humans interacting. You know, I don't think they wanted to get married, but they're in Babylon at the time. And that is like a thing that was going on around them. So they decide to get married by a human. Uh, I don't know if priest is the right word. I doubt it, but you understand what I'm saying, right? So like religious official. Yeah. I think that's like an important aspect of it is the way the humans, especially with this group of eternals have like warped their perspective on like what they value and care about. Oh yeah. And I think Um, it's done interesting. I think it's done, like, it, I like that it has, is done uniquely for each character. Like, you know, there's there's even, like, the Eternals, like, you see, you know, Icarus being, like, strongly, like, no, we have to let this happen to let the, all the other things happen. Klingo just letting himself step out because he wasn't sure where he thought, where Kingo. he felt. Kinga. You said Kingo. You said Klingo, bro. <laughs> I said it's a different thing every time. Yeah. <laughs> what is the name of that? It's Kinga. K-I-N-G. Kinga. Kingo. 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 King with an O. Kingo. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like he he stepped out because he was like, I agree with Eric. And, disrespecting the brown. And Icarus. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um the Icarus and he just like let himself step out. But even among the ones that ended up choosing to fight among, together, sorry. they had their own like unique reasons for doing so. Like as far as like Druig did like felt that way because he was able to, you know, like see into the minds of them. Um Festus was able to, like, Festus, it was shown in a scene after, like, the, the bombing of Nagasaki had completely lost faith in humanity. He's like, these are just awful people. Mm-hmm. Like, pe- people are awful. And he blamed himself. And blamed himself. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, to a degree. But he, like, also lost faith in humanity, but then regained it through the finding of his husband and the chi- and his child and, like, the love of them. True. And Cersei... His I, family, like, yeah. Yeah. And Cersei, Sorry, I didn't mean to... I just wanted to... Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, you go Sorry. for it. Go for it. I didn't really know. Cersei I just wanted to say... You just told me to go for it. Okay, hold on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go for it. Let me continue. <laughs> yeah, that's my bad. I just wanted to say really quick. I just I only interjected because it was a quick thing. Is that it relates to what we were talking about before? <laughs> it relates to what we were. It relates to what we were talking about before with the uh, inclusion of the of, of the uh, gay couple and his family in that. It makes sense. You know what I mean? It, it's not for no reason. His family is shown, like you said, has a actual ties to his character and his struggle and his arc throughout the movie. Please continue. So yeah. seeing something. Cersei, I was going to say, I was a little bit more unclear on hers. It just seemed her, like hers was just like developed over time as far as like just interacting with people. Yeah. And then like, 
because it didn't seem like Dane had like this big influence of like, oh, I met my partner and like fell in love with humanity. Like hers seemed like kind of developed throughout, which wasn't the same as the other ones, which I thought was kind of interesting. Can I can I read you a quote? It's good you brought that up. There was this interview with Chloe Zhao. I want to read this quote because it relates directly to Cersei and what you were talking about. Um, so here the quote is, uh, the question was, Cersei's interesting because she's not necessarily the strongest or smartest Eternal, but she has this deep compassion. What was it about her journey that most interested you? And the answer from the director is, I think there was a time in our society, almost as if we've lost our mother. We're trying to regain that now today. To be feminine, to be loving, to be forgiving, to be compassionate, it's not a weakness. Again, we're trying to challenge the genre itself. She doesn't have to punch anybody. She doesn't have to put a man down. She doesn't even necessarily have to stand completely on the gooder side or the evil side. She can fall in love. She can be blinded by love. I think that these are human traits and these traits that are incredibly, these are the traits that are incredibly brave and strong. And even her power, everything she changes is elemental. It's almost like she never kills anything. Even when she changes a rock into some birds, she keeps it going. Life. So I feel like that, and the reason I wanted to read that quote is because I feel like it something that we really need to consider regarding that character. And I think it explains the way that she acted, you know, and I, I don't know. I thought that was just a good quote. Yeah. I like that. That honestly yeah. answers any, any confusion I have there. Not confusion, but like yeah. on lack of clarity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, Um, so we discussed, I feel like a lot of, uh, are there any other things regarding the characters themselves and how they clash you guys want to talk about before I move to the next point? I feel like I've said everything that I, I was hoping to on the characters. All right. So there's no other uh, comments then let's talk about, start getting into more of the, uh, pushing the envelope of the, the future, right? So you we, we mentioned uh, earlier Dane Whitman, uh, Cersei's boyfriend, who I guess also I just want to clarify, at the end of this movie, this movie ends with the remaining Eternals who are on Earth being plucked off of the Earth by Erishim himself. We get this awesome, cool, grand-scale visual of him in front of Earth with the uh, Eternals in his hand. And he tells them that, you know, even though they defined him, he will judge earth and see if they're worth this uh defiance of his will um you can correct me uh, based he will judge them based on the memories of those three eternals okay which the three eternals meaning oh Pingo, the, the ones okay. Pingo, jesus <laughs> <laughs> almost went for Django, bro <laughs> um rango with johnny Duck, you guys remember that anyways <laughs> yeah it's uh, Jingo, Cersei. You <laughs> no, said it again. You <laughs> just said the same thing. What? God damn it. It's <laughs> what we were doing and then did it worse. No, I'm not calling you. I swear. Jingo, Cersei, and. Um... Fastest. <laughs> yes, yes. And then at the same time, Druig and Makari are. And Fina. In space. Yeah, and things. Right. Right. So, those um, three Eternals' memories will be what Erishim decides the judgment of 
humans upon. Because yeah, because yeah, yeah, at this point, sprite yeah. Because I, I was trying to do the math because there are ten eternals only. Yeah, sprite's there. Uh, yeah, sprite. Sprite, sprite chose to give up to give up their powers just to become human. Ajax died by died. deviant. Gilgamesh died by deviant. Icarus flew into the sun. Supposedly is dead, but I'm kind of unclear I, I on whether Icarus can... is still alive. He's probably still alive. The fact that it was so unclear means that he's going to come back in some form or some way. I feel like, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh. Yeah, so I just wanted to clarify that part because I feel like we didn't fully explain that. But um, Dane Whitman is left on Earth, and throughout the movie we get teased by his appearances. It's even name-dropped, I believe, uh, the Ebony Blade, his birthright, which leads to us finding out that he is going to become the Black Knight, uh, another um, Marvel Comics character who has a lineage that goes all the way back to King Arthur and uh, the uh, royalty in those days. And um, I kind of like the way they teased that throughout the film. You know, it wasn't all shoved into one post credit scene, you know. Um, throughout the film, you know, Cersei mentions at one point when she thinks that the entire world is going to be over, she calls him and says, you should patch things up with your uncle, who in the comics was the former Black Knight. Um, and there's all sorts of hints and stuff like that. And in the post credit scene, we of course see him finally opening the box with the Ebony Blade and we hear a voice. And the voice says, "Some uh, maybe someone knows the exact quote, but I think it was, are you sure you're ready for that, Mr. Whitman? Right? Is that right? Okay. And all sources seem to agree that was Mahershala Ali's voice as uh, playing, playing Blade, the vampire. Just pretty hype. Um, what'd you guys think? Well, technically, Blade's not a vampire. He's a daywalker, whatever. I, I don't actually know. I've just heard people say that so many times. Um, <laughs> I thought it was pretty sick. I didn't understand it because I don't recognize his voice that readily. Mm-hmm. But it was pretty quick. I thought the blade looked really cool. Also, I forget. I forget the um. There's like words inscribed on the case in a maybe like latin or some foreign language that i do not recognize as being a living language and uh dane whitman reads them and it's like there's captions i forget what it says but it says something badass like about death being the price or reward or something something dark you know i thought that was cool the blade like as he goes to touch it, like moves this black film around the blade, like moves towards him. Seems kind of sick. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about the Black Knight. I feel like a lot of people probably don't generally. Yeah, I'm reading some of it here. Lower tier. It yeah. seems like it seems like it has a lot of interesting, like overflow as, with like Avengers, uh, the Black Panther, Scarlet Witch, Dracula is mentioned as well, among others. It just seems like it'll it'll like tie in with a lot of things that are already in the MCU as well as introduce a lot of new things into it too, which is going to be cool. Well, there's also mm-hmm. a team, right? MI-13 is the team that the Black Knight was on. It's like yeah. based in England where Dan Whitman is. Yeah, you were telling me about that. Yeah, I don't know um, anything about that. MI-13 Kevin. is a British intelligence agency in the comics. I forget who's on the team though. I know the Black Knight is. Captain it's like Britain. supernatural team. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Blade is obviously, I'd say, on the same wavelength as Supernatural. Um, mm-hmm. And it's going to be exciting to see Blade in the MCU. I hope they do justice to his film, you know. Maharshali um, is an incredible actor who many uh, might not know was already in the MCU in the, well, I guess it's debatable as to whether it's a canon now, but at the time it was Luke Cage, the Netflix show. He played Cottonmouth, uh, the villain in that first season. Uh, There's a pretty interesting twist in that one. Recommend watching the Netflix shows to anybody. Uh, they're all very good. Besides Iron Fist, probably don't watch Iron Fist. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited yeah. for Blade. I'm excited for Black Knight. You know, Kit Harrington is a great actor. That's who uh, plays Dane Whitman. Yeah. I liked I liked his role a lot. Also Gemma Chan was in the MCU and Captain Marvel is one of the, the True. three. But who cares about Captain Marvel? Right. <laughs> Seriously, I mean it's I mean, it's bad. It's yeah, terrible. I I did not <laughs> like that film even a little bit. Samuel yeah. Jackson was good. That's all I'm saying. True. I mean but he had a lot to carry, you know. Yeah, no one man should have all that responsibility. <laughs> um, <laughs> Holy shit! There's so many layers to that joke. There's, there's like three at least. That's um, awesome. That's so good. <laughs> I remember <laughs> that, please. <laughs> no one man should have everyone all that responsibility. <laughs> wow! The Spider-Man Kanye parody. I feel like that could literally just, like, sum up my life. (laughs) In terms of, like, my interests, like, Kanye and Spider-Man. That's it. That's it. Those two things. That's all. All Um, all two of those things could sum up my life. (laughs) What inspires me. The way I act. Kanye and Spider-Man. I think before we wrap up Eternals, uh, one thing we haven't talked about the visuals, uh, you know, the visuals were really good, I feel like, relative especially to some recent MCU thing. I think the only one, if I had to choose, like, my least favorite visual aspect was probably the original Deviants. They seemed kind of generic, sort of just metallic animal creatures, alien tier. You know, you've seen it before. I agree um, with you, but I do think the design of them was cool. I liked all the, like, tendrils and the way... That's what I'm saying. As, they, as it progressed, it got a lot cooler, because they absorb, absorb powers, they gain tendrils, and then eventually they become human, obviously. So, they, that fixed itself pretty quickly. Um, I Like I was saying uh, earlier, when we talked about it, it's... I didn't... In every Marvel movie, for a long time, I've noticed at least one scene, if not more, where I'm like, oh, green screen, you know? And I really, I don't think I had that moment in this movie. I never really, it all felt real. And I, I do know a lot of it was shot on location. So that helps, you know, and it helps keep things grounded, especially when you have a lot of uh, other directorial responsibility in terms of having to show their powers and stuff, which obviously have to be CGI. So when you strike a good balance, you know, it goes to show and it makes a good movie. Um, and I thought that the rest of the, camera work was pretty good i loved all the sweeping shots of the different environments again and uh i i just thought i don't really have any complaints regarding that and i thought that it was just interesting okay Um, visually like the powers of the eternals 
were some of the I, I, personally I think some of the coolest like looking visual powers in the entire MCU. Like Iron Man's like is pretty cool just because it's like you know it's a classic as far as like the the beams and the arc reactor and stuff. But just like I don't know, even with like all the Eternals have like very similar like coloration and like energy style to their powers. Like just the visual, the visualization of it was so cool. Like it's like with like um, Festus's like floating things in the air, like creating things, like pulling them apart, and then mm-hmm. like down to like even like Kingo's like energy balls coming out of his hands. Like I just thought that that was some of the coolest like coolest visual pieces I've yeah. ever seen in a Marvel movie. And the, like the the big fight scene yeah. at the end between all the Eternals was, I I've, I've said to people like one I one of if not my like mm. top favorite MCU fight scene third act because mm-hmm. the third act of Marvel movies are usually ass right so it was nice to have one that was actually interesting because it wasn't just everyone team up against a big boss it was everyone conflict with each other both physically and emotionally yeah and you and like having to creatively come up with ways to fight each other like darian mentioned it right at the beginning we're talking about favorite scene like when festus like like anchored icarus down to the ground and like sapped his powers like that was probably the coolest restraining i have like i've seen in a movie i thought it was so so cool That's funny wording. It's that one and Angelina Jolie's hands being bound by an alien. Top two restraint scenes in the movie. And they're both in this one, so it's a good sign. Yeah, what other movie have restraining scenes? I don't know. Spider-Man when he webs up uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier in Civil War. He also restrains... uh, That's an example of a bad restraining scene. You know, it's a good restraining scene. Scene is restraining the use of someone's um, ability to speak. You know, in Spider-Man One, you know, when he <laughs> shuts up Jameson, you know, Sam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> yeah. Um, what are we talking Get about? <laughs> Parker. Um, yeah. So the visuals. Um, I agree. I think that. For example, like Kingo's powers, for example, are an example of how good Captain Marvel powers should have been. Versus like, because you look at Kingo's, like you said, like the ball is like rolling off his hand and it's shooting out. It's such an interesting way he angles it it and whatnot versus like Captain Marvel. Yeah, exactly. Like kind of improvisational sort of thing versus Captain Marvel, which is just like, there's a Kree there. And then she just shoots a normal purple blast of energy or whatever it is right yeah and no like, matter what and like even kingo like you could tell like he could just kind of like shoot things out of the palm of his hand like that but his personality is kind of more like fun playful to, yeah. like he does finger like he throughout the whole movie he does finger guns and it never seems like like dumb or like oh why is he doing that like it just kind of like fits into the scenes but it like also fits his character he's just like kind of shooting around like that like and it, it looks cool it's fun to watch that's a good point he probably doesn't have to do that he chooses to mm-hmm. i didn't think about that because there is the scene where he like gets it in his hand and like forms up the ball and builds it up. like that. Yeah, that was yeah. an awesome scene. Maybe second favorite scene. That was a good scene. The, when they're Eternal all battling, spear, the deviant's head blows off and this black sludge falls True. all over him, and then he's like, "Did you get that?" <laughs> after like, after like, three yes, sir, cameras of that dude had been destroyed, he's like, "He just has another camera." <laughs> what did you get? I think that's another probably going to be a contentious thing. I mean, not to call anyone out but i feel like 
Evan's been pretty public about this. I feel like if Evan, because Evan hasn't seen the full movie yet, I know he's watched things and talked about it with us, but like... This is cringe. Why is this guy here? It doesn't make exactly. sense. Exactly. I feel like him. Evan would not, for example, people like Evan wouldn't like the oh, You just gotta take your, your standard for comedy and like put it aside if you want to laugh at yeah. something. Or even not laugh, but have a good time. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. not everything is gonna be hilarious or designed for someone like my own sense of humor you know what i mean right. i feel like most of the humor and it was kind of just like one-liners here and there like it was never like a big forced like oh this is what they're trying to make as a joke it's just like a little thing here and there like um like the scene where cersei was on the phone like facetime with zane and the like or dane sorry and the the connection started going out. She's like, "Hey, Jingo we're breaking. <laughs> hey, we're breaking up." And Icarus, like, without hesitation, is like, "Really? You are? Like, like Connor's just stuff like breaking that. up." Yeah, um, Connor, you might want to turn your camera on and offer something. For those who didn't hear, Connor was talking about when Cersei was on the phone with Dane Whitman. She says, "Oh, I can't hear you. You're breaking up." And Icarus says, "Oh, you're breaking up." And it's obviously I'm butchering the delivery there, but it's it's pretty funny in the theater. I agree. Um, yeah, that's the great thing about the humor in this movie is not everyone is Tony Stark versus all the other ones, right? Everyone in the normal Marvel movies has to quip, 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 quip. You know, and uh, it's nice when the quips feel actually are feel natural and are different for each person because they're different people. Um, I thought, the, I thought the camera guy was funny too. Like I agree, Darian. Like you just have to. Okay, I enjoyed his character a large amount. I thought he was a very good addition yeah. to the movie. It's like you can't go into a Marvel movie expecting the humor you get from like an Edgar Wright movie. You know, you just can't. Um, no matter what. So, yeah, let's say that sums that up. Any other thoughts on Eternals? Anybody? I liked it. I thought it was good. It was refreshing. You should watch it. It's kind of long, but when you're watching it, it's not actually that long. And if you act like you don't have fucking two hours and 40 minutes to watch a movie, you're a liar. So that's my final word. It's true. That's a good point. Connor, how do you want to sum this up? Um, inclusive, ambitious, visually pleasing, overall good time. I agree, and like Darian said, I think it's refreshing, and between this movie and The Suicide Squad, also from this year, I said this, but it, you know, it really gives me hope, it gives me hope for the future, so we can only hope people continue to take steps in the right direction, you know? Um, I, I agree. So please watch Eternals, if you have, are somehow listening in, to this point and haven't watched it. Um, yeah, so... Let's move on. Another movie that came out this year. Shang-Chi. 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 Sounds like I'm making a joke. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm trying to pronounce it correctly. Um, Connor, you bought, watched it most recently, so I'm going to put you on the spot again. For a little uh, plot summary? was the little plot summary, and then follow that with your thoughts, maybe? Okay. I'm just going to I'm just gonna go full in with spoilers, because we're at this point. Like, whatever. Yeah, um, no, yeah, yeah. So basically, the this dude finds these ten rings, which is like a super powerful ten ring items that make him like give him 
grant him basically immortality, and they're just like the one of the most effective, uh, like offensive weapons of his time. He's like multiple. Oh, you're right. Yeah, Sorry, he's, excuse like, me. Multiple you're thousands right. of years. Yeah, I totally <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, basically, Sorry. he <laughs> goes to try and find this like legendary place called Talo. Yeah, I think it is. Sure. If I if that's wrong, <laughs> doesn't matter. It's, it's, also, it's, for reference, basically, this guy is the Mandarin, right? Not to yeah, take you out of your plot summary, I just want to confirm that. Okay, he's yeah, the yeah. original Mandarin. Yeah, like this dude okay, is yeah. the guy that the Mandarin in Iron Man three was like based off of. Yeah, and in person. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so yeah, he goes to try to go into Tala, which is like this like mystical place, got like all these creatures and like all this like otherworldly power in it. Uh, he tries to go find it and is like combated and beat by the protector, who ends up being uh, you know his wife. Uh, he puts down the ten rings, starts a family with her. Uh, yada 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 people come in like gang people come in that he had you know taken down in the past come in while he isn't home and kill his wife so he brings he takes back out the ten rings and raises up his son as a warrior kind of ends up like not paying much attention to his daughter kind of leaving her to do whatever she becomes sad about it that son is Shang-Chi he comes you know just like through his life he's sent on a mission to kill the people who killed his mother um, does kill them, feels bad about it, and doesn't want to continue, ends up moving to America, which is where the movie starts with him as just like a valet driver in America. Um, but then his mother had given him and his sister these pendant necklaces, which end up being required by the father to open up this map to now, like years and years in the future, years and years down the line, end up getting into Talo. So he's, you know, just in America with his friend, gets attacked on a bus by a bunch of his father's warriors, gets the pendant taken. They end up going back to... I, I don't know exactly what country or, like, what area it was that they were from. But he goes back home to his sister. Uh, same thing happens to his sister. She gets attacked. There's a, a little cameo scene by Wong from Doctor Strange, which is it's pretty funny. Good little scene. Um, yeah, he comes back to like find his sister. She gets attacked. Both of their pendants get taken. Their father ends up showing up, and they get brought back to their like home living place, where it is revealed that the father like has found out that with these pendants, he can find a map to Talo, which is where he believes that the mother is being held captive which is actually these like demons type things that are hidden behind this cage. He's going crazy. They end up going there. He fights through the people of Talo, including his sister-in-law, goes with, with the Ten Rings, opens up the door, like opens up this big gate and lets out all these demons, which are unable to be beaten by his weapons. They can only be beaten by the Talo weapons. So all of his fighters and all the Talo fighters end up teaming up and fighting against them. While Shang-Chi goes and fights against his father, and it like in this final scene, he ends up like taking five of the rings at some point, leaves them all down. Like he's like, fuck this shit. I don't I'm not gonna use these rings. Father ends up in the end kind of like conceding, realizing that he was in the wrong, and giving over the rings to Shang-Chi. And he defeats, you know, the big, big demon and is now the newly bestowed owner of the mystical ten rings. That was pretty good. Work. 
Yeah, so definitely a lot. Kind of uh, going going multiple places at multiple times. Um, personally, um, with this movie, I really, really wanted to like it more because it had so many cool, unique elements in the sense of like finally, first of all, finally showcasing an Asian story, which was great. Um, having the uh, extended knowledge of fight choreography with the director's experience as well as uh, Simu Liu's experience, um, which we get showcased a little bit. Um, so there were a lot of things I liked, but I just feel like they got kind of bogged down by the uh, quote-unquote Marvel movie tropes and just left me feeling kind of mid about it, you know? Um, so, for example, like so some stuff I liked was like the bus fight. But the bus fight was really fun, great action, great set piece, great constantly moving environment. Really showcased how good, like I said, the, both the actor and the choreography is. Um, I thought that, I guess to continue with action, like all the stuff with the rings was really cool. You actually get a sense of how powerful they are. And it's cool that they made this adaption because in the comics, the Ten Rings are more or less like Infinity Stones in the sense that they're just like things of power that have to be obtained. Whereas in the movie, they've made it more of a weapon, uh, you know? So I thought that was cool, and I appreciate that change. And, I mean, you know, like, in the end, the final fight with the dragon and everything, he's using the rings to jump up through the air, but then also uses them to fight in midair and shoot them, because you can shoot them, too. I thought that was all really cool. So I, I like those things. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I definitely like the like you know inclusivity of like the new like Asian storyline. Rings were cool. Um, as far as like it being next to Eternals, this was definitely more so of like the single character bio, or, uh, just like the single character bio, like just you know bringing them up, talking about them, their story, mm-hmm. they're like the people in their life that brought them to where they are. Big fight scene against the big bad at the end, and then everyone ends up happy. Like overall, just like a solid film. I don't have any like jarring complaints or anything really that I can say that I like actively disliked. I liked. I thought that it was a cool piece that it gave context to the Mandarin from Iron Man Three. Like it just kind of furthered that character, and he was that like the the man who played the Mandarin, like the actor Mandarin. Trevor Slattery. Yeah, he he was. I, I wouldn't even say cameo because he was in the movie for like a good bit. I kind of wish he had. They just kept him as a cameo. I feel like. Personally, like his com- his whole comic relief bit, like really started dragging once they moved to the mystical village. You know, I feel like they could have had maybe like a scene or two less with him, but I feel like like overall, I don't know, like him coming with them and him being like their guide there and him like kind of still being there made and, sense. But I also say this as someone who like staunchly defends and loved him in Iron Man three, because first of all, I don't think Iron Man three is a bad movie like most people, and I also think that he had the perfect. Uh, amount of levity in that movie and the twist was funny and good honestly i thought that so this is coming from someone who really liked that yeah i know we know we've seen your instagram from (laughs) sixth grade um (laughs) (laughs) it took me a second you would realize what you meant (laughs) guys go look at at gecko what is it at (laughs) strong gecko 15 you are the only person like you and fletcher perigo can get into that account and that's it Oh, because it's private? Yeah, like, even, like, I can't even get into it at all. Damn. Well, 
Sorry, guys. I guess I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I don't. I just felt bogged down by that. It felt bogged down by some of the plot elements kind of dragging. There was a lot of exposition, which I mean, don't get me wrong, it was necessary, but you know, there's a very long period. For example, when they're on the plane, and he's explaining his origin as a child and his father and uh, his mother dying and all this stuff. And they try to break it up by using this joke on the airplane where the flight attendant comes in the middle of the story and is like beef or chicken, you know, in the middle of the story. I don't know if you guys remember that, <laughs> but, um, which if you've seen, which, yeah, if you, if you, if you're a Tyler creator fan and you saw any of his, uh, promo videos for his latest album, there was pretty much the exact same joke was done in the, the braised bohemian beef or the, um, uh, some type of salmon. <laughs> I don't know. There's it's a joke. I've, it's a joke. I remember seen. the type of salmon. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Every time the creator fan knows the name of the salmon in that skit. Basically, I've it's basically I've Jeff, seen Jeff that exactly. Jeff would you right now. Right? Basically, I've seen that, that joke true. before, <laughs> and I've seen it done better. So that joke just kind of fell very flat for me. But I mean, even it so, I was just like, I was just like, me. whatever. Like, I don't know. Even the parts it just like, kind of force. Yeah. I don't know. It, yeah, well, I don't know. Any other thoughts that. about about this movie? Any other? We could kind of just throw them out randomly, I guess. I thought it was pretty mids. I liked Eternals more. I expected yeah. to like Eternals less. Kind yeah. of unfortunate, but I don't think it's like horrible. I wouldn't watch it again. I definitely a better. I like, it's a good watch it over Captain Marvel probably though. <laughs> yeah. Or certain movies i don't know it's a good light <laughs> watch underwhelming a good light watch a good classic like family marvel movie to just you know sit on the couch and watch together yeah solid entertaining nothing crazy if you have a family that will sit on the couch and watch movies with you kind of that is this is true well was there as privileged <laughs> <laughs> moment of silence for, <laughs> for what? Deal and die <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, Dark fuck you, Connor. What else? Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't really have much else to say about this movie. It was mid. I, do, I I guess it's worth the watch. Would you guys say it's worth the watch for? Yeah, I would I watch. I think watch. like there's some enjoyable parts. See what's up, but like I don't think it's worth rewatching for me personally. Yeah, I would not. And again, I, think I a agree. Lot of people would agree. As far as yeah, after I agree. Credits. The only movie I'd watch it over is Captain Marvel, like you said. Yeah, as far Very as the good. after credits scene, there are two, correct? Yeah, one is totally bullshit in my opinion. I they've been doing this thing in the MCU since Endgame where the, the major characters appeared post credit scenes on holograms, and you know in this one we get Bruce Banner and Captain Marvel, and it's like, welcome to the circus, and that whole like, see like, and that's what another thing about this movie is like this. In- this level of having to be included in the universe really bogs it down. That scene, mm-hmm. uh, even Wong, like, okay, yeah, like Wong showing up and fighting Abomination would have been a lot cooler if I hadn't seen it in the trailer, first of all. Second of all, just felt kind of, it was like, okay, right? And then they show that, like, Wong is working with Abomination as, like, using this as a side gig, which just seems kind of sus. Not like well, in I think, the plot I sense, think- but, like, what they're trying to set up is like, 
oh, Wong's working with Abomination and Bruce Banner, so now we can put him in the Disney Plus show, which has been like pretty heavily rumored prior to this. That's, That's what true. I kind of took it as. They're trying to like use this scene to establish a link, or mm-hmm. the movie, I guess, to establish a link between that, between Bruce Banner and Wong and Abomination. I guess it just feels but like... Also, yeah. I think they might just be trying to link Shang-Chi to Wong... Because they're like, oh, the ri- those rings aren't from anything in this universe? universe. So they might be trying to set up some like multiverse connection, maybe, or like some kind of Doctor Strange multiverse of madness but thing. Where Shang this is an example of like how Marvel has, in their post-credit scene frenzy, has kind of turned themselves inside out. And what I mean by that is like, so for example, like you said, one actual detail they mentioned in that scene was okay the rings are not from this universe that should be mentioned i feel like or referenced in the movie itself why does it have to be in a post-credit scene you know what i mean this the the, the pointless post-credit scenes have to stop information that will hint to future movies or add more context or questioning to the universe should be in the movie for example we've talked about this spider-man 2 um, not even Spider-Man 2, all three original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. You look at post-credit scene where, to- where, for example, Harry Osborn finds his dad's, uh, his dad's lair at the end of Spider-Man 2, right? It's in the movie. You know what I mean? Even though they didn't know they were going to get a sequel from, from Spider-Man 1 to 2 or 2 to 3, these things are included in the movie because they build the universe and they build the characters. You know what I mean? That's, that's kind of how I feel about it. Well, I think it's also... It's it's kind of bad though because now people are expecting it, so like they're gonna wait anyways. So like, if Spider Man Two were made today and everyone wanted a post credit scene in every superhero movie, mm-hmm. maybe you know what I mean. It's like in a way yeah. they started doing this and now people expect it, so that incentivizes them to keep doing it ad nauseum, yeah. even when it's not sensible, you know. Yeah. Like, I'm not agreeing that's true. with it, but I just feel like it'll never stop at this point. No, no, honestly. that's true. It's definitely not going to stop. Because I think, um, honestly, the the mid-credits scene for Eternals could have just been at the end of the movie. I don't know why it wasn't. Yeah. It basically... You know what I mean? Well, like, Yeah. I don't know. I don't think it would have, like... I think it, that, that scene with Eros kind of made sense as a post-credits scene. Because, like, especially ending it with... Or honestly, even if they had put that as the end scene and then switched that final scene with like Cersei and Dane and made that the post credit scene, I think that could have worked too. But like having both of those scenes kind of like back to back, one of them in the credits, I think makes sense because those are kind of two things that like both needed to be towards the end, but didn't really make sense to have both just in the end of the movie, you know? Hmm. That's at least how I feel about well, it. Well, yeah. I don't know. That's that the thing. In both cases, they're just like <clears throat> playing off the hype of an unexpected actor appearing in a post-credit yeah, scene exactly. that is anticipated because it's waiting through the credits. You know, like oh whoa, like Brie Larson and Mark Ruffalo See, and that, Harry Styles. The the Brie the Brie Larson Mark Ruffalo. I feel like that was just like yeah that that definitely could have been in the like just in it. I, I feel like it tried to make well, a couple jokes and felt really flat. Well, there's not at all, yeah. Like, I, yeah. Also, like, I also think, though, it, in defense of it, I feel like I appreciate that they're trying to give us a sense that, like, you know, like, they talked about like, 
throughout some of the movies beyond Endgame. God, I hate that I'm referencing Far From Home, but it's like, do the Avengers even exist anymore? You know what I mean? Like, there's no, like, actual team, so what the fuck is everyone doing? Like, Falcon and Winter Soldier seemingly are just doing their own shit. Like, Rhodey shows up and they talk to him once, but he's not, like, in contact with them. Or, like, my point is, I think it's kind of nice to know that, like, yeah, there's not, like, an Avengers but at least the characters still talk to each other. You know, like, Doctor Strange and Wong have some form of communication with Captain Marvel. Like, she didn't just fly off into space and disappear again, and then we have to wait for Nick Fury okay, to press at the least, fucking button. You know what I mean? At least, like, don't be, at least don't be lazy and make them use fucking holograms. At least they make them all be in the same room. You know what I mean? Like, I hate the whole hologram thing, personally. And then, like, they tried to well, make the it's probably It's probably because... Bruce Banner has to be with She-Hulk for the show in a different city, and yes. yeah. and Captain Marvel has to be Who ready for where him to be in space. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's it's also I, I, not, it's not actually funny. It's just ironic. Like they're just playing into the joke at this point because they're like, you know, Bruce Banner in the scene is like, oh yeah, like you can get Captain Marvel's number, and then she just leaves, and then Wong's like, I don't have her number. No one has her number. Just mm-hmm. like, yeah, like Captain Marvel isn't actually in the MCU ninety percent of the time Good. because she chooses not to speak to people. That's why. That's it. Yeah, I thought <laughs> that was the, just like a weird. Like, there's joke no explanation that. beyond it. <laughs> well, it's because what's what's going to happen is Captain Marvel could just come in and stop any threat unless no one can talk to her. So that's why she won't do it. We can't reach her. I feel like that's actually what they're just reinforcing for us. Like. Which is so. You know what I mean? Dumb. Like, yeah. It's like it, it's why like, even have such know. a powerful character if you're just go- like like the Eternals? They're that powerful. They explained very well and very like concisely exactly. why they weren't around. Captain Marvel just, is just like, every- oh yeah, here's an OP character that we're just not going to include because it would make things too easy. Right. So then, why use her? I don't. I, I stand. Well, they should have just kept her separated doing space things. She should have yeah. showed up for Infinity War or Endgame. But the Guardians are separated. And then just been like, alright, I gotta go do more important shit. Bye. You know what I mean? But I guess the problem is they can't do that because she also finds out that she's from Earth and shit. You know, there's like so many layers to the involvement of her character with Earth that... It wouldn't make sense if she just stayed in space like she does in the comics, I guess, you know, after working with the Avengers and shit. Yeah. Kind of wrote themselves into a corner, I feel like. Yeah. I agree. At this point, hopefully they just separate her off, because, yeah. Also, Captain Marvel is, like, so different. I feel like they've increased the power level of Captain Marvel compared to, like, her original role in the comics, you Mm -hmm. know, like... Like, before they changed the design of her, you know, when she was, like, wearing black and yellow and on the Avengers. They just, they're getting to, they want to add everybody and everything and everything's connected, you know what I mean? They just need to really try to section groups off until the inevitable next Avengers movie, right? So, I don't know. We'll see. Um, any other Shang-Chi thoughts? No. I think I've summed up most of my thoughts. I don't have that much thoughts about it beyond the yeah. fact that like it's worth watching. There's definitely some good parts. I like we'll all of the scenes that you mentioned, Mibiel. Um mm-hmm. 
but it's just kind of that's it you know yeah mid it's it is what it is like it's fun but mid cu (laughs) (laughs) it's funny sometimes you need to yeah uh I was gonna say sometimes it's better to just enjoy something once than go back and realize it's not worth watching at all. You know, I think Shang Chi is worth watching the first time, but if you hold it to too high of a standard, you're probably gonna be disappointed. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. that's my point. All right. Well, speaking of the future of the MCU. We got a trailer recently, did we not, guys? We, we got uh, two trailers Spider-Man. and, what, four TV spots? True, we had, I guess we never discussed the first trailer because it's been so long since we've done an episode. Um, but we can... I feel like there's a lot of overlap with the first trailer. It's just kind of... Like it just... podcast on the trailers, honestly. <laughs> and ironically, I feel like we could at this point. Yeah, we definitely could, but we gotta hold off. We gotta We gotta, we gotta wait and just do, a, do an episode for the movie. Dude, the episode from the movie... That's gonna go so hard. <laughs> That's gonna be crazy. Alright, so we got a new trailer. A lot of things were revealed. Um, we're talking about Spider-Man, by the way. Did we explicate yes. that? We did I think we've just been okay. Spider-Man, Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home official trailer number two, guys. Or, I guess, official trailer, because the first one was only a teaser trailer. So, yeah. So, what do we think of this trailer, guys? I'm, I'm going to scrub through and look for a few details just to refresh myself, but are there any t- thoughts off the top of your head? I, mean, uh, I thought it was good. I'm glad we got to look at the villains, and I'm glad that they're holding on to the excitement that will come if Toby and Andrew are in the movie. If they are, I'm mm-hmm. glad that they didn't show it. I don't think they need to at this point. You know, there's so much hype and speculation. Oh, yeah. And looking at, like, all the suits, like you, there's, like... There's quite a few different Spider-Man suits because you have, you know, the classic Iron Spider. There's one that looks like just like a nor- like his classic cloth. There's the black and gold. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's the black and gold and also just a black suit from inside the school, but that could be the same suit. Um, All right, I got you, bro. Don't worry. I know this one. All right. <laughs> we got the 3D printed Iron Boy Jr. suit he made on the jet from Far From Home that he was wearing at the end that we will probably see the beginning of that sequence, you know, when he finds out... <gasps> Um, everyone knows who I am. And he swings away with MJ, the red and black suit with the white logo I'm talking about, to reiterate. Okay. Then we have the black and gold suit, which he also gets imbued with the powers from Doctor Strange, like we see in that cool shot from the trailer with the, the orange rings going up, which is theorized and like very, very strongly believed by most people to just be the black and white red suit turned inside out. Because we see wires and tubes sticking out you know um also if you remember in homecoming when he's removing the tracer from uh his suit i don't know if anyone remembers that scene he removes the tracer that tony stark had in his suit if they have the thing kind of turned inside out on the sleeve and it looks just like that with the gold lining so it's protocol (laughs) streaming like a kid you are a kid <laughs> yeah. Did all the <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> boy, yeah. Um, and so, is that this? Is that black and gold inside out suit the same suit that's in the shot of him running through the school? 
Yes. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Or at least in the trailer. Just remember, any of these could just be skinned over from the trailer. So just to throw you, us off for the order of the movie, you know what I mean? Because that's been done before. So just we're to reiterate, we're going off the trailer itself. Um, and then we have the new integrated suit, which is the a mix of all the suits, which is like to me personally just looks like the Iron Spider suit with like a gold logo that's wrapped around it. Um, you see that at the end of the trailer there. And um, so those are his three suits in the movie. I'm pretty sure that's all of them. Um, oh, I just had an idea, not to interrupt you. Yeah, sure. Imagine Doc Ock makes Spider-Man a new suit. That'd, That'd be, be kind of cool. cool. That would be I amazing. just thought about that because the Iron Spider suit, we see get destroyed to some degree by Doc Ock in the trailer, right? But then he has a new one. Right? Where does it come from? It's nanotech. We like Think it. your fancy new suit's going to save you? Yeah, I should. I should also say, by the way, for those who haven't, look up the. Uh, there's some new TV spots that came out today, which is what I'm referring to. We got a few new lines from Doc Ock, um, and a few new shots of the villains. It looks pretty cool. Um, speaking of, like you mentioned, we see Doc Ock in the trailer, and he seems to believe that Tom Holland's Spider-Man is his Spider-Man. Obviously, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man um, from the TV spot. Even he says. Uh, like I said, he said, you think your fancy new suit's going to save you? And then, of course, in the trailer, he says, you're not Peter, you're Parker. Not Peter Parker when his uh, mask comes off. And also we see what seems to look like Dr. Octopus absorbing the nanotech from his suit, probably inadvertently. And the arms kind of take that in. And we have theorized that uh, maybe that's how his uh, inhibitor chip that protects his motor functions uh, that was an exact quote from Spider-Man. Maybe it heals that, and that's why maybe he gets a change of heart, because it seems like maybe later in the trailer, he seems a little more friendly to Peter Parker. And also we see a shot of him falling out of a building later in the trailer, supposedly from Electra's blast, meaning maybe he teams up with Peter Parker. Peter Parker's towards the end. Um um yeah so the doc ock like as far as like the arms and just like the costume and stuff it looks pretty pretty much like pretty much the same as the like 2000 Mm spider-man i mean yeah when we talked about this i mean don't get me wrong there if you look closely you can tell that there's cgi going on and that this guy's 20 years older or whatever but all things considered, it doesn't look that bad. And even, like I said today, you guys should watch those TV spots. There's an incredible shot of him that to me looks like almost exactly what he should look like from that year. So I, I'm pretty, and you know, none of these are final products. So I think by the time the movie comes out, it'll it'll all be good. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the de-aging work they did on Samuel L. Jackson and fucking Captain Marvel is a good yeah. reference point of what they're able to do. Or like the stuff with Chris Evans. I don't know if you've watched the behind the scenes on it. Either of those. Oh, I'm so good with you. Yeah, they do a really good job of that stuff. It's uh, it's pretty interesting mm-hmm. how much effort they actually put into it. Right. And then you have from so there- I think they'll do a good job with this because it's even bigger of a deal, you know. And then from there, the other villains like Green Goblin, we see the full Green shot Goblin's of this. Turning. The full shot of the suit with some some differences mm-hmm. to like the. 
as far as like the edges and like versus smoothness of the head but like just overall the suit looks really cool and we see the alternate shot with the like the goblin or like the the pumpkin drones and the goggles which we have not seen the goggle Mm -hmm. green goblin at all like that was not uh, one of the outfits in the spider-man this is a new uh, invention where invention this is a new look for him where he's gonna look have the goggles and have like a purple scarf kind of alluding more to the comic book version of the green goblin and of course like you said we see those pumpkin bombs again we see the ones that i don't forget the names of them but they have the razors attached and like just remember the, the iconic scene that's where his his arm gets cut in spider-man one he's like oh. and of course that leads to it dripping down later during the thanksgiving scene um which then I, I just yeah I just had to stop myself from yeah yeah and then from um, there electro we see when like not permanently but when emanating the blast from also seen in the TV spot today some sort of arc reactor we see the the like the classic yeah. electro face like mask at least like right, the, the mask of yeah the mask the, from the comics yeah I think yeah. Uh, in the trailer, he looked full CGI, like PS3 character tier, which is a little sus. But again, once again, today in the TV spot, we saw that he looks a little more... He looks real. Like a human being. <laughs> yeah. And it looks cool. And like you said, we saw that he has an arc reactor. So I guess all the villains will be using probably some sort of Stark tech to enhance themselves, it seems like. So... Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't think that's like going to be all of them. It seems less annoying than Iron Man being. Well, it makes more. It makes more sense than any of those other things that have happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, it makes sense. Like, they're twenty years behind. Of course, they're going to upgrade their tech. You know, like. And I mean, as far as like Lizard you know, and it, it, he, that, Lizard looks the same. Yeah, Lizard and Sand Sandman just doesn't. I don't know how Sandman. he would in, incorporate tech into that. He just thing was just kind of that he could turn into sand. Yeah. But he looks really cool. He, he does looks good. But yeah, no shots of him as a person. Which no I shots of him as a human. I'm really, really hoping that we get the classic Sandman shirt because that was a. I love that visual from Spider-Man Three. I think when he's in the cell, where the Doc Ock is in the cell, you know, I'm assuming we'll get shots of all of them in there. I'm mm-hmm. assuming. I don't. Uh, I definitely well, don't know. But I, I don't want to spoil he'll be anything. Yeah, in the cell. I don't want to spoil anything, but there was some leaked concept art of the spoil. Oh, okay, so this is like a of the spoilers. <laughs> no, sorry. This is a for those warning. This is an artistic spoiler. This is not a spoiler to the plot of the movie, but there was concept art of every one of the cell. I mean, it's concept art, so it could obviously change. But it shows all the villains standing in the cell or like drawings of them, and the salmon one is just like a a, a man made of sand. Um. So that's kind of sus. That is sus. If we never see him in just like human form, I am gonna be a little. I'll get annoyed. mad, bro. Yeah, but I mean, be... as far as the fight scenes where we see the like full size like attack mode Sandman, like the final battle oh, yeah. scene of looks Bi- great of Spider Man Three, that stuff looked awesome. Yeah. Um. Also, we see that uh, Doctor Octopus has that same needle. Uh, I don't this needle device the come yeah it comes out of his uh tentacle if you remember in spider-man 2 when he's holding aunt may hostage you know and you know she's like shame on you and hits him in the back of the head do you remember that that's that scene um what else let's see so 
talked about that. So there's some there's some interesting editing going on in this trailer to just to mask some spoilers. It seems like right, we get some weird clunky dialogue from Doctor Strange both at the beginning and end of the trailer. Um, the beginning, he sounds like he's having an aneurysm. <laughs> <laughs> Because, uh, go guys, that I mean, I could, spell you had me cast. I'm gonna play that right now. Playing right now. Listen to this, guys. Listen to this. It's playing. You botched that spell where you wanted everyone to forget the Peter Parker Spider Man. You botched that spell where you wanted everyone to forget the Peter Parker Spider Man. What's happening? They're starting to come through, and I can't stop them. Like, what the hell was that? You know what I mean? It sounds terrible. Uh, three separate lines cut together, tear. Oh, true, and then at the end, yeah, he's like, uh, they're coming through, and I can't stop them. It's all, like, totally pieced together from across the, the movies. But, um, it's, I mean, I don't know, I guess they could have done a smoother job, but I, I guess they're just trying to protect themselves, or protect the audience from being spoiled, certain things. Um, Which, in the, what was it, the Brazilian cut of the movie, there's, you know, there's the shot in all the trailers of... The true. Uh, this has to be mentioned. Uh, there's a shot in all the trailers of yeah. Tom Holland Spider-Man in the center, coming towards also centered Sandman, with Electro on the more kind of on the top and Lizard on the bottom, and it looks like a one v three, but they're kind of lined up weird. But in the Brazilian version of the trailer that was released on the same day as the like the, this, the like the you know the second trailer, there is that cut like the cut of that shot is slightly longer, and you see Lizard. Like flying through the air, and then his like, neck get like whipped, like he gets punched in the face by something, but nothing right. is there punching him. So that nothing's there. Theory is so that's either Andrew Garfield, Spider Man, punching them and then being skinned out. Right. Who knows? There's there's definitely going to be tricky editing that we're going to see in the movie where we're like, oh my god, that was in the trailer. How do we not? notice that this was edited out you know what i mean like there's so many potential spots where there could be other spider-man or other villains or whatever you know oh yeah um and i think we we can all all three of us agree that Tobey Maguire and andrew garfield are probably going to be in this movie right i mean we've all seen it's all sorts of evidence i, I would be genuinely surprised if they weren't and probably a little bit let down more than a little bit, I feel like. Okay, I'd be really, really upset if Tobey Maguire wasn't in this movie. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> um, for example, another bit of that kind of thing. At the end, MJ falls, just like we see Gwen Stacy fall in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And Peter goes down. Will he save her? Will he not? Many have speculated. We thought of this as well. Uh, could this be a moment for Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man to get redemption? For not saving Gwen, could could that be Andrew Garfield's hand going for MJ, reskinned to be Tom Holland's hand in this trailer? Because there is also the line yeah. in it was in the teaser and this one where Spider Man says, "I don't," or I don't know if it's in the teaser, but it's in this one where Tom Holland says, "I don't think I can save everybody." That could be you know a reference to having to have one of the other Spider Man save MJ. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of talk about a joke in this trailer. Well, two jokes in this trailer. So Let's start yeah. with Scooby Doo. This crap. What do we think? No, okay, Darian. I'm cringe. Gonna... MJ, less cringe. Doctor Strange, very cringe. <laughs> just... I'm gonna, Darian. I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna take the lid off the theory, the theory bucket. I know you have a theory about uh 
Bro, Doctor, Doctor Strange, Strange is acting very sus. I think he might be the imposter. Meaning, I think Doctor <laughs> Strange might actually be doing things he would normally do, like casting the spell in the first place and letting Peter Parker mess it up. Um, or, you know, seemingly just taking a backseat and making Spider-Man stop everyone when he might be able to do it. Because he's being controlled. He's being brainwashed. Theoretically. By, by what do you think? An outside force. Maybe Scarlet Witch, I think that's more likely. Maybe if we're really hopeful Mephisto. But I don't think Disney will ever do Mephisto because bad devil religion <laughs> things, you know? It's not it's devil's bad. Anyways. <laughs> um I mean, I that's what Mephisto is. I don't think they will at least do it in the way that it is in the comics. You know, they're not going to literally. Do, do you think that this is something? Yeah. setting Disney. Yeah, I, I agree. But do you think Maybe. this is something? The way he's been acting, if he, if there is an imposter, so to speak, will this be something that's mentioned in the movie or a post credit scene? You think? Post credit scene or in the next in in the Doctor Strange movie. I could see them just not mentioning it until the next movie. And it'll, maybe maybe we get a post-credit scene that alludes to it, but doesn't fully explain it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I and don't think be... a lot of people have watched WandaVision, but with where that show ended and a lot of the dialogue about Doctor Strange, it seems like they're alluding to Scarlet Witch overpowering him in her search for what she wants. You know, I'm not going to fully mm-hmm. spoil the ending of the show i guess but it doesn't really matter because that explains what i'm trying to say without spoilers right i guess we'll see i mean this is this would be the second time we've had an imposter mentor for spider-man right after far from home nick fury was revealed on a postcard it seemed to be a scroll so i could see him doing it again as like a another you know the same thing reoccurring um because we'll have to wait and see uh, any other thoughts for this trailer? I think it's hype, but uh, it is hype. Very excited. It it doesn't reveal too much in a good way. You know what I mean? Do you think it feels a lot, but not too much? Since we're going off the assumption that they are in this movie, do you think that they should have showed them? You think that they will still uh, show I, them somehow in a poster? Or I think not showing them until the film is released is definitely the play. It's genius. True. You know what I mean? Let everyone let everyone do their marketing for them by talking about it. Exactly. It'll it'll be a moment in the theater to see that. Man. I should uh I should mention at this point about two hours in. I don't have it with me. It's not in my room right now. I don't want to get up to get it. But there is an actual really good giveaway for filmatic uh for this giveaway. You've heard us rave about it. If you listen to the episode, I'll just tell you again. The Suicide Squad is one of the best comic book movies I've seen. It's one of the best movies of the year. And it's a great movie. And I happen to have a The Suicide Squad Blu-ray to give away. Uh, It'll be signed by me. And (laughs) if that means anything to you, I'll sign it if you want. Or you you can tell me if you want it signed or not. Um... You don't want to, you know, if you don't want to ruin the case, but, uh, <laughs> no, it's coming signed. no, it's coming <laughs> signed. You don't have an option to feel with signing it ahead of time. So that's the giveaway. All you have to do guys. Giving away signatures the... for free. Come on. Whoa. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. 
you got to go to the Instagram post for this episode and you got to comment. No one man should have all that responsibility. Okay. That's better. No one man should have all that responsibility. Or you can, uh, you can if you add, you can add hashtag Klingo to that. If you, I'll accept that too, because Klingo is pretty funny. That was a funny moment. So, no one man should have all that responsibility. Comment that, and or slash hashtag Kingo, and you'll be entered into the giveaway. Uh, it's a great movie, and I hope you uh, you guys get to to win it. And it comes with these three little character cards. You got one for Captain Boomerang. I'm showing it right now. It's just a poster with Captain Boomerang for our audio listeners and Savant and the Weasel. This is highly, highly uh, sought for, this Weasel card. Look at that. You could hang this up on your wall if you're some kind of comic book freak. Um, <laughs> I wanted it. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> interesting. What do you guys think of this giveaway, guys? I mean, come on. This is a very exciting hype. giveaway. It's pretty poggers. The poster's also yeah. signed by Nabil. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the DVD signed by Nabil. The posters, I guess, are about. Yeah, wait, signed. isn't the poster? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can sign it all, I can sign none of it, Nabil. But Darren, don't you agree? This is such a great movie for for people to watch. Don't you agree? Like, yeah, and then it's awesome because not only do you get to watch the movie, not only do you get to hang the poster on your wall, not only do you get Nabil's signature, but then you get to watch the podcast afterwards. True, and understand why the movie is good because you don't have that ability on your own. You don't know about movies. (laughs) Nabil does know about movies. You know what you're talking about. It's it's no close family day. Come over here. <laughs> you don't know how to play this game. Quick game no, for a quick guess. No clothes podcast day. <laughs> Guys, if you want to understand that joke, YouTube prank invasion. Just let us know your thoughts. Wow. Is there anything, uh, you know, we've discussed the shows to some capacity before. We don't have to get into it now. But is there anything else coming up in these Marvel in this Marvel universe while we're on the topic that you guys were interested in talking about? <laughs> Moon Knight looks kind of cool, but I don't know. I'm still kind of up in the air. We'll have to see. You know what I mean? One of my yeah, friends, the costume looks cool. One of my friends at Harding in Knights got himself the title of Moon Knight because he got suspended last year for mooning the opposing team at a club versus club basketball game. And so his title is Moon Knight, and I think that that is funny. That's what the show's going to be about, right? That's what I heard, actually. Yeah, Mike Zerang is going to be the, the lead actor. He's going to be showing his ass to people at a school. <laughs> kind of sus. Speaking of sus, I just realized, Nabil, maybe you could just cut this out and put it somewhere else or something. Let me just give my plot summary of Eternals, all right? This is my version. Okay. Eternals is far removed from the Marvel Universe. It's about characters that originate in space. They have a ship called the Domo. There's ten of them. But one of them is an imposter. (laughs) Just thought about that. It's kind of insane. You know what I mean? But he was the only one doing... 
He's the imposter, but he's the only one doing tasks. He's faking the tasks, bro. No, but he's doing tasks, right? If the tasks are to fucking eliminate Earth. You know what I mean? I guess. He's the one who's not the imposter. The other ones are the imposters, if you look at it from that perspective. Connor's uh, humping his sprite toy. It's kind of weird. Just for our audio listeners, if they want to see what's going on. I'm not. There's a button, and then the hand's moving. It does a little dance. (laughs) Then the chin slaps. (laughs) Oh, boy. Her power in the movie. Oh, no. Tone it down for the podcaster. There are things going on. But Gemma Chan gives hand job toy. That's, That's what she's doing. Oh no, there's a lot going on in the Marvel Universe and we're, we're here for the ride. Hawkeye, okay, Hawkeye's coming up. Hawkeye show, the next Christmas. two weeks or something. The most exciting part of Hawkeye for me is I want to see the Steve Rogers musical scene. Seems funny. <laughs> we can make some analogies Rogers, off the that. musical. Yeah. That. Um, Kate Bishop Wilson is hopefully Fisk. done well. True. I forgot about that. I keep forgetting. There are rumors. There are rumors. So this is not a spoiler. I don't know if this is true. There are rumors that Kingpin himself from the Daredevil series, as played by Vincent D'Onofrio, will will, uh, make an appearance in the Hawkeye show as it deals with the criminal underworld of New York. So that could be kind of cool. That would give me a reason to follow along with the show. So they know what they're doing with that, I think. And it'll be interesting because uh, I don't know. I, I just it's hard to think about the future of the MCU because I'm my mind is so overshadowed when I think about that kind of thing with No Way Home. You know, seeing Toby again, I I just really want to experience that in the theater. You know, I can hardly wait. So yeah. Well, guys. Thank you so much for joining me for this, for this episode and talking about Eternals and Shang-Chi and all these uh, wonderful properties. Is there anything you guys want to t- add? First of all, if I missed anything, like I said, I just want to reiterate that, not add anything. And then secondly, if you want to plug something, as we as we must do on the podcast. <laughs> uh, Be ready. Connor, I'm calling on you. Be ready. That's all I got to say. Oh, that's it? Just be ready? Can you at least give a hint as to what it is? Okay, music. Steve Rogers, the musical. I am directing, producing, and starring in the Steve Rogers musical. Coming soon to to a small town theater near you. Okay, well, I'll plug it for you, Connor, since you won't. I happen to know that Burnout here is working on an exclusive new project that actually has to do with recent political uh, events. <laughs> you guys have been following the news. I'm not going to say what for uh, many reasons, but if you guys are following the news, make sure you're following Burnout for great music and relevant commentary. I'm excited to see that project happen. Also, if you guys should listen to the song fireflies by owl city because i think that's going to play into it somehow
Maybe, maybe it will. Um, cool, cool. And um, Darian, anything you want to say? Anything you want to? Uh, thanks for bringing me on the podcast. Eternals is basically among us. You should watch it though, because it's good. That's it. All right, guys. You've been listening to Filmatic. We're going to be coming at you with more frequent episodes, I promise, this time. You know, we all got kind of caught up with school, but we're back. We're here. We've got a lot of, like we said, No Way Home's coming up, Hawkeye's coming up. In terms of Marvel movies, I still am going to be catching up on the movies I missed. I know The Last Duel came out. The Green Knight we haven't talked about. There are all sorts of different Last Night in Soho. movie points. Not Very good one. Yeah, Last Night in Soho. So many different things that are non-Marvel we're going to talk about, too. I don't want to get misconstrued. We're not just a, a simp mainstream entertainment podcast. We do other things, too. At least I'd like to think so. I'm sorry if I let you down if you joined this podcast solely because of the Joker episode or whatever. But All right. <clears throat> like I said, you've been listening to Filmatic Season 4, Episode 2. Uh... You can follow us on at Filmatic Podcast on Instagram. You can follow at Darian Nigro, or at, I believe at it's Kill at Kill Darian, Darian now. And <laughs> at Burnout, but without the U for some reason. And at Nabil Sharif and all that. So, just like that, guys, we're going to be signing off. You've been listening to Connor Park. Darian Nigro and Nabil Sharif. Thank you guys. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>